If you're an avid listener to this podcast, you may be aware that from time to time, usually during the football season, I'll go on rants about how I can't stand it when teams play cover two on third down and especially third down and long situations. The one example I like to use over and over and over again is from the 2019 Big 12 championship game. Baylor was down to its backup quarterback, Gary Bohannon, who's now been named Baylor's starting quarterback for 2021. Now in that game, it was the second quarter and Baylor could not move the football. The situation, third down and 20 from the Oklahoma 33, and the Sooners dialed up cover two and then gave up a 33-yard touchdown pass that tied the game at 10 apiece. Bohannon stepped up into the pocket and hit Tyquan Thornton, who had beaten linebacker Deshaun White for the touchdown. Again, it was third and 20. If Oklahoma played cover three, which I prefer, then Deshaun White's nowhere near that play. Trey Brown is deep in that third of the field, and Gary Bohannon doesn't have an open man to throw to the end zone. Maybe he checks down. Maybe he runs for about 10 yards and Baylor kicks a field goal. Hey, maybe he forces the ball somewhere else and it's broken up, or maybe even intercepted. Then later in the game, you may all remember, Oklahoma gave up an 81-yard touchdown pass to Treston Ebner on second down and 16. Once again, the Sooners were playing a version of cover two, but it also looked like on tape there was a mix-up because DeLarian Turner-Yell came down from a safety spot and covered the flats, and corner Trey Brown sank deep, almost like he was replacing DTY. Meanwhile, Mike Backer, Kenneth Murray, looked like he was spying the quarterback instead of getting deep into the middle of the field where Mike Backers are supposed to be in cover two. The result of the play, two people were deep on both halves of the field, but nobody was deep in the middle of the field, which allowed Ebner to flash wide open and then outrun everybody for a long touchdown. Now, to be fair to Alex Grinch, I'm sure you could point out multiple times on tape the last couple of seasons when he's called cover two or two man on third down situations, and it's worked out great for Oklahoma. In fact, I noticed that did happen a couple of times in that Baylor game back in 2019. So that strategy doesn't always backfire. But when you've got the opposition in a third and long situation, I just don't think the risk outweighs the reward of calling for cover two. Now, I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. So I did some research and Football Outsiders, I saw published an article from 2019 called Third and Long Strategy with Expected Points. Now, full disclosure, Football Outsiders does NFL stuff, but football is football, generally speaking. And I don't think there's a big enough difference between the strategy of the game in college versus the game in the NFL. So what did Football Outsiders find? It found that my affinity for cover three is somewhat backed up by the data, but not entirely. The most effective coverages against third and long, cover four and cover one. And for the record, Oklahoma runs a lot of cover four and also a lot of cover one as well. Cover three was behind cover four and cover one. And at the very bottom was cover two. Ah, vindication. But I'm not going to allow myself to get too overconfident because I learned something that explains why Alex Grinch seems to be a fan of cover two and third and long and in obvious passing situations in general. My good friend Dusty Dvorak loves cover two in those situations. And there aren't many people out there with more credibility talking about cover two defense than Dusty. He played in Chicago with the Bears under Lovey Smith, who, of course, was known for running cover two. That's all the Bears did in the 2000s 
when Lovey was the head coach. Now, Dusty told me that cover two is great in those situations when you've got an awesome pass rush. Speed up the quarterback, force him to get rid of the ball, and the windows are smaller in cover two when the quarterback doesn't have much time to throw. Well, what's the strength of Oklahoma's defense? We all know it's a defensive line and that pass rush. Now, I've always known the key to cover two is getting to the quarterback with only four rushers. And when that happens, yeah, it's really hard for the opposing quarterbacks out there. But those times when your pass rush doesn't get there, there's some glaring holes in cover two. Behind the cornerback, in front of the safety, in the middle of the field where you may have a fast wide receiver running against a middle linebacker. Now, maybe Oklahoma in 2021 can defy what the stats say about cover two against third and long. But, you know, I just prefer not to test it out. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. On first down, it's Adams up the middle. Abdul Adams, watch out! Abdul Adams! Trying to go 99 yards, and he does! How about that for an intro? How many of you all saw that one coming today? Abdul Adams. He'll forever be remembered in Oklahoma football lore for the longest play from scrimmage in program history. 99 yards to the house against Baylor back in 2017, uh, and then he packed his bags for Syracuse. Man, we've got a massive show for you today. It's our big season preview, and it makes its return after taking 2020 off. Grant and I have predictions for 14 different OU-related categories, plus we'll make Big 12 predictions and national college football predictions. This is where you come for all of the preseason hot takes on West of Everest. Just a reminder, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes if you so choose. And you can like the West of Everest Facebook page to keep up to date with the show. And also, you can interact with us there on the Facebook page. We're also on Twitter as well, at Lee Benson News 9, at Grant Benson 25. Admittedly, both of us don't tweet as much as a lot of people that are on Twitter. But once the football season begins, I'll definitely tweet a little bit more whenever OU starts playing more games. I like tweeting out during games and whatnot. Uh, as for Grant, though, I don't know if his tweets will increase or decrease or whatever. And speaking of you, Grant, what's going on? Let's bring him in. How's it going? Okay. I'm not much of a tweeter. I probably won't start tweeting unless there's something really juicy to tweet about. But now I've, I've definitely learned you have to have a, a certain skill set for people to actually care about what you tweet. And I just, I just don't possess that skill set. So... I could, I could come up with the most clever or interesting tweet ever in my mind and probably would get absolutely no traction whatsoever. So I'm just a lurker. I just sit it out. Or you could be somebody that just spews out the hottest of takes on every single subject just to get interaction, even though you know that what you're doing and saying is stupid and ridiculous, and that's how you can gain followers. But it's, then at that point, it's all fake. You have no credibility, and you're just a clown. The... Uh, the last like big time Twitter interaction that I had was actually last summer. I think it was like the early summer, and I saw I saw a GIF of um, of Manny Johnson getting decapitated in the uh, the national championship game against Florida, which you know would have been which I think at the time probably should have been an ejection at the time too, um, because it was clearly malicious. And I think I said something like that on like and I quote tweeted it and said. You know, whatever, like he, you know, this, this, he should have been objected in 2009. You know, who cares about today's rules? 
And then just a, a massive amount of Florida fans just got in my mentions. And, oh, wow. uh, you I know, it's heard the, this story. Yeah, oh, you haven't? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, that was it. I mean, and, and of course, I mean, there's lots of profanity and vulgarities and stuff like that. And the entire time I was like, geez, guys, calm down. But of course, a lot of people uh, accusing me of only of only thinking that because, oh, you lost. Of course, that was the only reason I thought that. Um, and then, of course, you know, a bunch of Florida fans calling me a wuss, you know, using the P word with that, too. We can't say that on that podcast. And the entire time I was like, God, you guys are just such cliches. <laughs> and uh, and then I kind of started uh, to troll yeah. some people. But uh, I don't know. And then it, it actually it just occurred to me, oh, you beat Florida State by like a thousand this season in the bowl game. So I, I should have revisited some of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because to people like that, all that matters is wins and losses. There's no nuance. By the way, I, I disagree with you. At that time, I don't think that was an ejectable play. It was a, it was a miss, but at that time, they weren't ejecting people for that. When was the last time uh, you saw that? Th- they are now. No, I've, I've seen it recently. He, the, the most egregious part is that, uh, is it, uh, what's his name? Uh, God, what was it? Major Wright. Major Wright. I, yeah. I was thinking of Ahmad Black and Major something, and I couldn't remember because wasn't Ahmad Black a player? Or am I just making that yeah, up? Yeah, their uh, their two like safeties player, were yeah. their two safeties were Major Wright and Ahmad Black. Joe Hayden was one of the corners. I can't remember the other one. Yeah, I just remember it, the, the egregious part was that uh, he was contacting Manny Johnson, and then the ball hit him in his back. That's how early he got there. So it was obviously pass interference. It was pass interference. And, uh, it was. It was. I mean, yeah, it, it should have been flagged then. I like. I would. That is, that is exhibit A of what it looks like to launch at somebody. That is the launchiest launch I have ever seen in football. See, but that wasn't a thing, though, back then. Because the, the play-by-play guys, like Tom Brenneman and, and uh, gosh, the, he's really good. Charles uh, Davis. I, can't even think of his, Charles da- I mean, they, I don't remember them saying, oh, he should be ejected for that. And if that was a thing back then, they would have definitely said that. No, I think they, were, they, just, I think they were just caught up yeah. in the big hit, and they probably didn't really see the replay. They didn't see how dirty it was. <laughs> That's possible. And so, I mean, uh, and of course, that's, that's kind of an OU lore is, you know, a lot of people think that set the tone for the game. And I, you know, I, think, I think there's, I think there's some, some argument that you can kind of dig out there. But yeah. I mean, it was a... It, oh, I agree it was, with that. Yeah. But yeah, there, there were two penalties on that play. It was, it was unnecessary roughness and it was pass interference as well. And uh, maybe, maybe me thinking he should be ejected is me just being emotional about it. But I'm still upset about that. Like, I mean, that was a legitimately dangerous football play. I mean, that's there, there's a reason they try to get that stuff out of the sport. You can kill someone doing that. Like, that's just it's dirty as hell. Well, you know what else is dirty as hell? This upcoming podcast, man, it's going to be great. It's going to be just full of sick and twisted takes. I don't even know what I'm saying. At this so you point. mean it's dirty sure like accomplished. Yeah. So you're using dirty like, in like the dirty way good. that like a, a hockey fan would use dirty. Like, so oh, you see that goal that was dirty. See yeah. him dangle that guy between his legs through the two defenders. Kind of like whenever dirty, kind of like whenever bad turned into good. It's one of those things. Oh yeah, he's By the a way, bad episode, man. I kind of like that yeah. though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, this is episode two hundred, two hundred West of Everest episodes. Not that you all care that much. Just wanted to bring that up. We've already wasted enough time going back into the past because we have a lot of stuff to get to. Fortunately, though, we're recording this Monday night without really any time restrictions like we normally do. So we'll we should be able to get through everything and not have to speed through it. Uh, but this is going to be a long one, so buckle up and enjoy. I, I do have a couple of thoughts, though, before we get to the big season preview. Just an update from camp, things that I have noticed since the last episode. And it's mainly surrounding the offensive line, and it's mainly surrounding one Andrew Rain because he talked 
last week, and that guy sounds more confident than ever. If you all follow me on Twitter or you're on the West of Everest Facebook page, I posted a soundbite from him, and it was great. Uh, he, <laughs> he said that uh, the entire offensive line has a bunch of killers in the room, and it's not just guys that are going to get your hands on you, but they're going to get your, their hands on you and then bury you in the ground. Uh, true offensive lineman uh, talk, I guess. He said they want to bring that culture back, and he's not expecting a slow start to the year, Grant. Did you enjoy that piece of audio? Because I sure did. Yeah, I love that stuff. That's fun. Kind of reminds me of Ben Powers back in the day where he it was like a Big 12 media Yeah, he was he nasty, liked, yeah. Yeah, he said he likes to like take people's souls or something like that. I, don't, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but uh, I think no, he might I mean, have been talking great. about playing Mortal Kombat, though. I, I think he's a big fan of uh, gaming and... Uh, he, he gave thumbs up to the uh, movie recently. Anyways, uh, I have no sure idea where to go with that yeah. now. A Mortal <laughs> Kombat reference. Jeez. Uh, no, it was cool. Uh, and so it kind of it, it kind of makes you think, right, that that's that's definitely some rhetoric within that room. That's probably something that Bill Biedenboe has said numerous times. Um, I, it's it's kind of funny, though. I mean, what did they did they lose their nasty streak for like, what, one year, basically? Because I don't know. They were mm-hmm. pretty they're, they're pretty downhill and nasty in 2019 with Jalen Hurts. But. I mean, not like not to the point of being like Wisconsin in their heyday or anything, but you know, there's yeah, but they weren't up to snuff last year apparently, and they want to change that this year. And as far as the center position goes, for all intents and purposes, he's got the job locked up. I mean, he talked about how people ask him, "Hey, man, what's what's it like to try to fill in for Creed Humphrey, a guy that is now going to start for the Kansas City Chiefs and snap the ball to Pat Mahomes?" And Andrew Rame said, "Well, you know." I'm not here to fill Creed's shoes. I'm here to mold my own pair. <laughs> like, okay, man, like you are super confident, and I hope everything you're saying is backed up on the field uh, because if so, Oklahoma's not going to have a problem at center this year. Lee, did you know that uh, that Andrew Rame uh, played and was a pretty accomplished baseball player in high school? And I only bring that up just because isn't it kind of one, one of your things is you, you really like it when uh, – um, when football players that are at a, that are an important position were baseball were former baseball players, haven't you said that before? Because baseball is hard, <laughs> and football is easy. I've ever said, I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> Have I said that? Did I say that? Maybe I mean, that's I, me. I, I, mean, I could have sworn that's you. I, that sounds like something you would say back in your early twenties. <laughs> I, I understand the premise. I mean, baseball is a game of failure. It's way harder than anything else. So if you can push through your your mental toughness is going to be way through the roof. Normally, I, I, I say when it comes to people in the trenches, I like guys that have wrestled because uh, you learn a lot from wrestling. I'm not I can't remember if Andrew Ray has wrestled before. Well, I only bring it up. Me. I bring it up just because, you know, you got you got to be pretty cerebral to be the center. So I don't know. I mean, that some mental toughness there, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, baseball is not the uh, not the most complicated game. Not a, not a whole lot of uh, IQ needed to play baseball, I suppose. I don't know where I'm going with that. I think I'm age. I, I I just wanted to, to to slander you a little bit. That's fine. Do you have anything else that stood out about the last week of Oklahoma practice or anything you've heard before we get to the big season preview? I mean, it's been been pretty quiet. It's it's been pretty quiet. Um, information coming out has just kind of come out in drips um, here and there. You don't see a lot. Um, I think everyone's just ready to play football at this point in time. And so I'm glad we're about to hop into this thing because, Lee, it's it's game week, man. It's week zero. It's game week. Nebraska and Illinois are getting ready to play a football game on Saturday. I think UCLA is playing Hawaii, too. There's some. There's probably some others as well. But am I going to be watching those games? Yeah, almost certainly yes. <laughs> uh-huh. 
You better believe it. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't have that in the rundown. But, yes, it is week zero. Yeah, we got some college football coming up this week. And uh, just in time, we have our big season preview to go over all of Oklahoma, all of the Big 12, and all of college football. And we begin with our first category. And I feel like I need sound effects for this, but eh, whatever. We always begin with this one, Grant. Who is going to be Oklahoma's leading rusher in 2021? And the question mark, it comes down to, are you a Kennedy Brooks guy or are you an Eric Gray guy? And I just want to, before you go, because I'll let you start, and we may have the same answer on this one, and, but real quick, before we started the podcast, we were thinking, eh, our answers could be the same on a lot of these. Well, what if they're not? What if we have a lot of different answers? It'll be interesting. Uh, but I did want to mention this. In 2019, the last time we did a big season preview, because again, 2020, COVID, the whole offseason was weird, and we just we didn't do a podcast until Oklahoma played Missouri State. Uh, that week but in 2019 just to jog everyone's memories the question was who's going to have the most impact outside of Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon because we were just uh, we, you know, we were so sure, sure that it'd be Brooks and Sermon one two and then hey what do you know Ramondre Stevenson ended up being the second leading rusher on the team and then uh, Jalen Hurts was the leading rusher so uh, whatever we predict for these is sometimes Difficult to predict. Right, so wasn't, uh, so so wasn't Brooks said, the number two rusher on the team then? Stevenson was the number two running back in terms of yards. Um, I Kennedy Brooks definitely yeah, okay, ran for more yes. yards in 2019 than, than Ramondre. Yes, you are, you are correct. Yes, Stevenson was the second leading running back. Yeah, what you said. So correct, yes. Uh, fact checking me on the air here, which has been happening a lot lately because my brain is turning to mush apparently. Uh, all right, so leading rusher, Grant. It's, it's basically going to be Kennedy Brooks or Eric Gray, right? Who you got? Yeah, uh, going with Eric Gray, which I, I assume is what most people are going to say, but I actually thought about this one for a while. I don't think it's as a slam dunk as, as maybe one would think. Um, you know, I picked Gray because it, you don't look no further than how the OU coaching staff has described him. Professional is, is a word that comes up all of the time. Um, it just... It, I don't know why, Lee, but you tell me if, if this is off at all, but it kind of feels like that he is a third-year returning starter in the program, like with the way that the coaching staff talks to him. It's just like he's assumed he's the guy. It's just like the day that he stepped on campus, he was the guy, and everyone's just like, yeah, it's Eric Gray. He's never played it. He's never taken a snap for OU in his entire life. Um, I, find that kind of, I find that kind of weird. I, th- I think it's kind of fun. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, he's – He's going to be really good. Just listen to what everyone says about him. He's clearly going to be a huge part of the offense this season. One of the reasons why I, I really did think about Kennedy Brooks for a while is, you know, maybe they get Gray more involved in the passing game this year, which leaves more carries for, for Kennedy Brooks. So um, who's going to have the most total yards this year? I think it's Gray 99.9%. I mean, for sure. Rushing yards, there, there's definitely a, a scenario there where I could see Brooks having more rushing yards but I you know Gray is going to have quite a bit of receiving yards this year too I think he's going to have uh, like a Joe Mixon DeMarco Murray like role in, in terms of catching the ball so um I just yeah I mean if Gray's the leading rusher and he's catching the ball you know with that amount of volume you're talking about uh, he's 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 going to have an opportunity to put up all American type numbers if he's touching it that much all right so category one and we already have a disagreement because I'm going to go with Kennedy Brooks as the leading rusher and like you I considered Eric Gray actually I thought about Gray at first and then I evolved and changed my mind to Kennedy Brooks so I'll, I'll kind of go over my thought process I'll, I'll start with why I considered Eric Gray 
mainly it was because of not necessarily his talent. We all know about that. But my main thought was, okay, let's look at the quarterbacks that Eric Gray has played with compared to what Kennedy Brooks has played with in their careers. Now, Brooks, in theory, had the benefit of playing with Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts, two very mobile quarterbacks, while Eric Gray has played with Jarrett Guantanamo at Tennessee, who is not a mobile quarterback. Garantano. So Oh, what, what did I say? You said Guantanamo, Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay. as in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it, right? Jarrett Guantanamo Bay? Is that, I mean, that's, that's... Gosh. I'm sure that's not what? the first time that's, that joke's been made, but it, it's, it's, it's pretty funny that you said Guantanamo and just, just kept going. I seriously thought it was Guantanamo. I'll, I'm just... So, just so you know, everything I say the rest of the podcast, you can take it with a grain of salt because I can't pronounce the guy's name correctly. Hey, but what's most important, though, is not his name. It's that he's not mobile. That's what's most important about this particular topic. So I was wondering, you know, how much did Kyler Murray and how much did Jalen Hurts' ability to run kind of help out Kennedy back in 2018 and 2019? And today I kind of went back and watched some, some tape from, from one game. It was one game, but, I mean, Oklahoma's offense is Oklahoma's offense. And it was a game against TCU with Kyler Murray in 2018, and Kennedy had something like 19 or 20 carries. So he got the ball a lot. And I decided that it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a whole lot of, yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of RPO type stuff with Kyler. I'm sure he always had the option to keep it if he wanted. But watching it, it didn't seem like that was a huge reason why Kennedy Brooks was breaking off these big runs. So that's why ultimately I'm going to go with the veteran, the guy who's already played so many snaps in Lincoln Riley's offense, the guy who averaged seven and a half yards per carry so far in his college career. And you know what? I got to get Brooks a little extra juice here because he had last year off. And I'm going to bank on him being incredibly fresh. And it can go one of two ways. He can either jump out, be shot out of a cannon immediately because he's so fresh and ready to go. Or, you know, I could be wrong and he could have some rust to knock off, rust to knock off once the season begins. But I'm going to bank on him being ready to go and being shot out of a cannon. And uh, I'm going to give him credit for being such a workhorse, con- uh, consistent back in this offense. That I want Kennedy Brooks. So how about that? I think Brooks is, I think he's going to be Kennedy Brooks this year, which means he's probably going to have barely a thousand yards rushing. He's going to average like six yards a carry probably. You know, I, um, one thing I did want to point awesome. out, um, I, there was, there was a moment there where you were in the middle of your, you know, I- explaining, uh, the, the running quarterback thing where I was like, oh, you, you may have a good take on your hands here. This may be a good take. Um, but I was going to say when you, when you were in there, it was, I mean, it's, that's good thinking. I mean, it's it's it's, it's always, definitely a way to think outside yeah, the box. You, what do you want from me? Okay, I I'm full of great takes. This is a big season preview. But I did want I just did want to point out just at, you know one more sort of merit in, in in Kennedy Brooks's column is in 2018 he he shared snaps that year with Trey Sermon in the second half of the season. It was it was Brooks and Sermon you know one two or Sermon Brooks one two. Um, Sermon had about 60 more carries. Uh, than Kennedy Brooks did that season, um, if, if I'm remembering correctly, which, you know, all of those handoffs were presumably from Jalen Hurts as well. And Kennedy Brooks averaged about two yards per carry more than Trey Sermon did. What year are you talking about here? 2018. Right? Or so am I just... Say, so, yeah. Well, well, so, well, you said Jalen Hurts, so you meant to say Kyler Murray? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, sorry, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make because because by the end of 2019, as we all remember, Trace uh, Tra- uh, uh, Sermon was out of the picture. I mean, yeah. He, I'm talking about Murray. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, Kennedy Brooks had fewer carries than, than Sermon in 2018 and had more yards rushing. They all, and they had almost the same amount of touchdowns. So, I mean, Brooks was fantastic in 2018. He was a fantastic in 2019. Do you think – um, the... Go ahead. I was going to say, I, you know, Kennedy Brooks is, I think, easily at, at this point in time is one of the more underrated players that OU has had in a really long time. Um, or maybe he's just – he's kind of continuing a – a nice, a, a nice long uh, tradition of underrated running backs from this past uh, or from this century. Just thinking like Alan Patrick, Chris Brown. I thought Brennan Clay was really underrated. I don't know, but maybe he's just Kennedy Brooks is just another one in uh, in that long line. And I've heard that. Actually, no, I'll, I'll save this for maybe later because it doesn't really fit in right now. Uh, all right, so I, I did want to have like a secondary topic, though. It's not one of our main topics, but since Brooks and Gray are the main guys, people might want to know, hey, uh, you know, who's going to have the most impact outside of, two, of those two players? And, I mean, at this point, it's Trey Bradford. And we know he's still picking up the offense. DeMarco Murray said that last week. Uh, he's only been here for two months. So temper your expectations. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, but he's talented. The reports out of camp are that his top end speed is faster than anybody else in the running back room. And Marcus Major is the other option. And I'll just say that I don't see it happening for him at the moment. And also to point out on social media, Oklahoma football tweeted out recently a, a running back themed video. And they only featured three guys. They featured Gray, Brooks, and Trey Bradford, Marcus Major, wasn't one of the guys they were showing flashy plays on. So I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, maybe I'm going to read far, so far into it. Maybe you should read into it. Maybe you shouldn't. But uh, Trey Bradford is the guy that Oklahoma is going to need to pick up the offense pretty quickly, Grant. Yeah, and I'm I'm right there with you. Um, you know, we can just, I mean, even if we don't even really want to talk about what, and everyone's heard the rumors about Marcus Major. I don't know. You don't know. We'll find out on September 4th. Um but I mean, a lot of the times, if there's smoke, you know, there's there's fire, and I just got to think, just from a, just from a logistical standpoint, I don't think you bring Trey Bradford in to sit behind Marcus Major, a guy who has struggled to get carries in his first three years of the program. Um, it 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 just doesn't take that long for running backs typically. It just doesn't. Um, and I just I, I can't imagine Trey Bradford would have been like, yep, definitely, I, I'm coming here if if he had to fight and claw starting at the you know in the fourth spot in the running back room. Uh, just kind of looking at it logistically, I just I don't think it works out that way. I agree. And I was looking back at the years that Lincoln Riley has been the head coach. And a, a big theme of this, and you're going to get this throughout this podcast and we get to different categories. And we all know this running back is super important because after the top two guys, there's a lot of question marks in Oklahoma. And we've seen health be a factor in the running back room. So I went back to 2017. Rodney Anderson kind of came on around that Texas game and then was was awesome. And he mixed in with Trey Sermon. And certain, you know, in, in the first part of the year, it was Abdul Adams. And remember, it was, speaking of Abdul Adams, did you enjoy the Abdul Adams intro? Did you see that one coming? How about that? I, I love Abdul Adams. Out of nowhere, I'm, huh? I'm, I'm yeah. still kind of bummed that we didn't get to see more of him. Um, like, I don't think he was great or anything. He's, he, he wasn't better than Rodney Anderson after we saw Rodney right, at, his, right. at his peak. But Abdul, he could run, man. He was, he was yeah, not bad at all. By the way, he's still playing. He opted out 
last season, and he's back this year for Syracuse. So oh, cool. Uh, I hope he has a good season. Let's get That's that. Awesome. Let's, let's get that Abdul Adams Heisman campaign going up there, and and uh, the for the orange. Definitely um, sending some good vibes mm-hmm. to Syracuse, New York. Hope he has a good year. So thinking about the 2017, that worked out pretty well running back wise because going into that season, Oklahoma had a, actually had a, a pretty good amount of depth. I think they had five pretty solid guys throwing Marcellus Sutton as well, who was ended up being kind of the fourth or fifth guy. Jeez, man, he would have been the number one guy on the team this past year. Sutton would have been. Yeah, one, yeah, one or two, him and Pledger. And then you go the next year in 2018, we were all excited about Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon being back. And Kennedy Brooks was a redshirt freshman coming in. And then obviously Rodney got hurt in what, week two against UCLA. And then it ended up being the depth was good because Sermon was good. And then Kennedy Brooks came on. And then, of course, they had Kyler Murray, who also ran the ball. He was the second leading rusher on the team, or as far as carries go. And then in 2019, Kyler's gone. Uh, Rodney Anderson's gone. We're like, okay, Sermon's still here. We got Kennedy Brooks. Boom, we got a nice one-two. And then you were super excited about Ramondre Stevenson coming in, and he ended up being good. But then, weirdly, Trey Sermon was kind of phased out of the offense and then got hurt. And then Jalen Hurts kind of was that other running back but also Stevenson and Brooks were there. So it, it worked out well, depth-wise. So the point I'm trying to get to is that really Oklahoma's kind of needed two guys, maybe a third in Lincoln Riley's tenure here. And there's small margin of error in 2021, but I think they have the two guys. And if Trey Bradford is who we think he can be, he can be the third, but they still need to stay healthy. Uh, because last year just did not go well with, I mean, health-wise, it was fine. They just didn't have Stevenson at the start of the year. I mean, Pledger stayed healthy. McGowan, for the most part, stayed healthy. And Marcus Major was there. They just weren't very effective until Ramondre got back. So I think it kind of goes without saying that we're, I think we're hoping for like a 2017 type situation here. Where I'd the actually, top two guys are just always there. I'd go, I'd, I'd go a year back, kind of before you got it, the... I've heard a lot of people compare this maybe to the the Mixon Pirine uh, dual backfield from fifteen and sixteen, oh, okay. which was which was really excellent. I mean, they were they were a really great one two punch, and they were there all year, right? There's no injury issues with those guys. Um, no, and six and sixteen Pirine was banged up. I, Mixon didn't play in that Iowa State. I, mean, I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, you weren't there That's yet. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dimitri Flowers had like 20 carries right. at Iowa State. Um, and I, I was actually going to say, I, I feel like if there's more injury issues this year with the running back room, the chances that we see Jeremiah Hall get carries are going to skyrocket, I think. I, I think he's going to be the number four back. Yeah, there's also another guy that I was thinking that might be able to step in at running back, but it's way off the wall, and I don't want to say it right now. And I may not say it ever, but... Uh, well, you can't... Hopefully it doesn't... Because now I have guesses. Well, it's... Well, it's it's part. It might be part of the podcast. I don't want to give anything away because this okay. is a guy that I'm going to bring up later in the show. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I think I have an oh, idea of way, who it I, is, but I won't spoil it. So I I, I will go back to uh, wow. If if you could call it, that'd be interesting. Uh, what I said a little bit ago about what I'm hearing, and then I stopped. Uh, what I'm hearing is that Kennedy Brooks. If you didn't know anything about Oklahoma and you're at practice, he looks like he's like the third guy behind Eric Gray and Trey Bradford as far as just talent and the way he looks. But then you look at you watch Kennedy. He's not a flashy player. You're like, okay, I can see that. I can see that. It doesn't mean that that's what's going to be like on the field. Uh, but I don't think that says that he, Kennedy Brooks is down or anything. It's just the style of play. Kennedy Brooks, is, he's just smooth. I mean, he looks like he's walking the dog is what Lincoln <laughs> yeah. Riley said a couple years ago. It's, he's just really smooth. I think that's, I just, that's how he operates. So 
Uh, I hope he has a big season. Uh, this is um, it'd be not unprecedented. I don't I don't think, but I mean back to back to back thousand yard seasons at OU. You know, I I think Adrian Peterson did that. I can't think of anyone else who has done that, unless unless Demarco Murray did it. But I'm I'm not sure if he did. Well, we have internet. We might have to look that up. Uh, I will say it's we're about twenty almost 25 minutes into this podcast or more we spent about 15 or so minutes just on running backs right there the running backs are interesting this year they are meat sandwich podcast yeah that's that's probably i mean it's totally new it's gonna like literally not none none of these guys took snaps last year i mean it's that's pretty exciting i think oh yeah wow that is interesting because yeah throw the throw in the wild card of kennedy all right let's stick with the offense Next category is who's going to be the leading receiver. We'll just say leading pass catcher because we're going to include the tight ends and the H-backs. And I have in the rundown here, like, are we basing this off of total number of receptions or total yards? And the way I look at it is just, like, when you think back to 2020, you think who was, like, the top receiver pass catcher? Marvin Mims, right? He happened to be the guy with the most catches. Granted, he tied with Theo Weiss. But he also had the most yards. So the way I'm looking at it is whenever 2021 is over, who are we going to say, man, that was the top pass catcher for Oklahoma, whether or not he has the most catches or the most yards? I mean, it's, it's going to be either one, but sometimes people have fewer catches, but they'll have more yards and they have more touchdowns. So I made that way more confusing than it is. I'll start, though. If this was Las Vegas, the favorite is easy. It's Marvin Mims. And, you know, Again, like I mentioned, Theo Weiss, he and they had the same amount of catches in 2020, uh, but Mims had, had more touchdowns. Uh, but then again, Theo Weiss could have probably had either the same amount of touchdowns or more if he just would have held on to the football. So that would make this a whole different conversation. But this is not going to be super crazy on my end. I'm going to go with Marvin Mims because I think this question falls under the category of I think you're trying a little bit too hard if you say someone other than Marvin Mims. Grant, what do you think? Yeah, because we just don't know right now, right? We don't know. Uh, because there's those two really big unknowns with Jaden Hazelwood and Mike Woods right now. Is we just we, we're not really sure if if they're gonna be as advertised. Um this is hard, man. This is this one's really hard. Um because you're right. I mean it's it, it, if you wanted to be easy about it, you just say Mark, you know, Marvin Mims and be done with it. Um but I my my I don't really envision this offense. I don't really envision Mims being like a a CD West or a CD Westbrook a uh, a, a, a CD Lamb or DD Westbrook a, thing where they just get where he just gets a a vast majority of the targets. Um, the way I envision this offense operating is is them spreading the ball around quite a bit. Actually, if if they're going right, this team is not gonna have like the number one killer that they look for at all, at all times. I think if this team is going right. It could that could be either one of Marvin Mims, Jaden Hazelwood, or Mike Woods at any time. I think is what they're hoping, um, and so yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is tough because a lot of the times too, and then, then you're going to talk about you know how many catches are there to go around as well. Um, so I, I actually looked here because I, I I was trying to game it out. I was like, yeah, can I sort of try to like rank people on a hierarchy? Because I look so like between 2016 and 2018, and I use those seasons because the the passing offenses were outstanding um those three seasons OU threw it roughly between 350 and 400 times so let's like assume that's about 270 ish receptions like I I think Eric Gray is going to be near the lead uh, on the team in receptions so I mean that's going to cut down some opportunities for the wide receivers as well and so like I said I I'm going to say Mims is the leader but I think it's going to be like I think it's gonna be pretty close so 
Like I think I, I actually I ranked them in terms of like who the options are going to be basically like this. So Mims at the top, and I put like for a twelve game prediction, I said fifty six catches for nine oh two and nine touchdowns was my is what I put for twelve games. I was like I think that's that's fairly realistic. Um, and then I had Hazelwood and, and Woods slotted behind him. Uh, Eric Gray slotted, and then. Uh, Theo Weiss, Stogner, Mario Williams, and Drake Stoops. I think those are going to be the main pass catchers this year. Maybe throw in Braden Willis and, and Jeremiah Hall as well. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I hope essentially that it's a new number one every single game. Um, go look at, uh, I don't know, go look at Florida's numbers from last season. I know Kyle Pitts was like their guy, um, but the, the yards and the catches were pretty evenly distributed amongst, amongst their top three guys. Um, and I, I, I I really hope that's the case. I really hope that they can count on either one of those guys to step up and be the guy in that situation. Uh, because I think if you're just going to rely on Marvin Mims and those to be that guy, I don't know. He, he, he's, he mostly works from the slot. You know, you want a guy who can win on the outside for sure. And uh, we've seen Mims win a lot in the slot, not so much on the outside. So We'll see, man. They got they, they have so many options in terms of pass catchers. Um, at this point in time, I think you knock on wood. You hope that they all stay healthy. But they, they got a lot of potential there. And I think I I think we may it wouldn't surprise me if we look back on this season and we just like we ask ourselves, man, why didn't we see this that like the Mike Woods hysteria coming? Like, why didn't we see that? It wouldn't surprise me if he's just a monster at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Hmm. Yeah, Kyle Pitts led Florida in touchdowns, but he was not Florida's leading receiver. That was Kadarius Tony. He had 70 catches. Pitts only had 43. And Tony almost had 1,000 yards. Pitts only had 770. And then you throw in uh, Trevon Grimes. He had 589 with nine touchdowns. So, I mean, that was a really solid threesome right there for Florida last season. You know, I'm, I'm going to make the case, aside from Marvin Mims, and you didn't really touch on this guy much at all in, in your little – uh, spiel there is mainly focused on the wide receivers i'll make the case for austin stogner i, I mean he's, he f- says he feels better than he's ever felt uh, here at oklahoma coming off that bizarre leg injury before he got hurt last year in that kansas game he had the same amount of uh, catches as marvin mims they were neck and neck with receptions in, in, on, on the team so he was on pace to possibly be oklahoma's top pass catcher in 2020 and we know rattler and stogner have a great rapport dating back to high school when they did all those camps together, and we know that Rattler likes to look to Stogner in big moments because he's kind of like a security blanket. So I think there's a scenario where we look back and we think, man, Austin Stogner was kind of maybe like a – I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Kyle Pitts, but when people probably think of Florida, like you mentioned Florida, they think of Kyle Pitts, but he technically wasn't a leading receiver. There's a scenario where people look back at Oklahoma in 2021 and think, man, that Austin Stogner was – he was the guy that, that uh, Rattler went to all the time. How about that? I mean, yeah. I mean, you you, you definitely make a, a good case there, and I think you could definitely make the argument in the first four or five games of the season last year, at least before he got hurt for, for Kansas, that he was he was Rattler's number one guy. He was the guy that he looked he, he looked to a, a majority of the time. Where my hang up on Stogner is, he's he's just not a great athlete. Um, he doesn't move extremely well, and maybe it's just maybe we just haven't seen it, and it's it's it happens in practice all the time, and maybe he just needs the opportunities to do that. I just, you know, I, I really don't see him as, as anything more than just a, a, a possession guy over the middle. I, I, I don't really think he's very explosive. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, 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 maybe I'm, I'm writing him off way too much. But, I, you know, 
he's a big guy with a big body and he's really good at bodying up D-backs. I'm not sure he's much more than that, to be totally honest with you. Yeah, I, but you're right, though. You can make the case for a lot of different players on this team as being the leading receiver, and you already went through all of it. So a uh, good discussion there. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. By the way, DeMarco Murray, you mentioned him. He did not rush for 1,000 yards in three straight seasons. In 20, uh, 2009, he was below 1,000. That's what I suspected. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that would be something if Kennedy Brooks can, can do it. Let's go to the defensive side, and we always bring up this category. Who's going to be the leading tackler on Oklahoma's defense. And did I did did I go first? I think I went first last time. Yeah. You went first. Yeah. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll throw it to you for this category. My um I I'm feeling pretty strong about this one. I I I think I, I think it's this may be my highest uh, confidence of all of these picks. I think the leading tackler is going to be Delarian Turner Yell. Um Oh my gosh. Simply Whoa. because hey, I'll, let me let me explain this to you. Simply okay, because he's okay. shown in the past that he can rack up tackles. I think in 2019 he was second on the team in tackles. Correct. He's going to play the and most snaps on the defense this year. And and also Changed in my 2020. Mind. He's he, oh he was second in 2020 also. Mm-hmm. He's going to play the most snaps on defense this year. I'm almost certain of that. So you're basing it off of because he's going to play the most snaps. Yes. Gotcha. I think. I think the defensive line is going to have a pretty a pretty consistent churn of guys coming in. I think the linebackers definitely will. Um, if you listen to uh, to Gay Bicards and, and 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 Teddy Layman's podcast uh, from this past Sunday, uh, you know they mentioned he mentioned uh, Teddy throughout there that he he thought you know maybe there would only be three safeties that would be rotating, and presumably that's DTY Patrick Fields and Key Lawrence. I would assume, um, and. I don't think out of those three, DTY is going to come off the field that much. Um, so, like I said, he's not he's not the best tackler on the team. He's not the guy who, if he, you know, I feel like if if like Brian Osamoa played the most snaps, he would almost certainly lead the team in tackles. But I just think I think Turner Yell is going to be the guy who comes off the field the least amount, just because that's the position where there's sort of a perceived lack of depth until somebody else emerges. Well, there's one flaw with your reasoning because Delarian Turner Yell played a ton of snaps last year as well, didn't he? And he was not the leading tackler. That was a guy. Well, I guess my logic is I think people this year are going to play less snaps than you because they have more guys who can play. Okay. And I think I think that's the case at linebacker especially. There's not a huge drop off at linebacker between the first and the second unit there. I think those guys are going to rotate quite a bit. Okay. See, Delarian Turner Yell was actually my dark horse leading tackler because the past two seasons he's come in second to a linebacker and in 2019 it was Kenneth Murray no surprise there and last year it was Brian Osamoa and so it tells me that even though your theory about yes there's more depth to potentially fewer snaps I still think it's going to go to a linebacker so I'm going to go I'm going to go Brian Osamoa again and I do not want Larry and Turner Yell is a leading tackler because to me that that means that there's a lot of people getting into the secondary or he's coming downhill and no, making a lot of tackles not necessarily. in the box. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, DTY is like that's that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, he, he's a safety who is who is good in the box. It's not necessarily a bad thing if safeties are coming up to make tackles like that in the box. Sure, sure. He had 16 fewer tackles than Brian Osamoa. So 
Osimo is kind of the veteran guy there, unless you think Deshaun White's going to take a, some gigantic jump this year and play a lot more. Which well, I just don't. I, I think this is. I think this is probably going to be the season where Deshaun White plays the least of the last. Not he's going to play a lot. It's just I. I th- he's definitely going to have his snaps cut this season from nineteen and twenty. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I mean, ideally, right? I would. I would love it if Perry and Winfrey was the leading tackler on the team. That would be very good news. <laughs> yeah. Or so, or like Benito or Isaiah Thomas. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that would be great. Uh, but uh, breaks a record for most TFLs in the history of college football. Alabama fans are like, what is going on over there? What is going on in the Big Twelve? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. How about that? So we're three categories in, and we're disagreeing on two of the three so far. I like it. So you went with DTY. I go with Brian Osamoa. I go chalk for that one. Let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball. Sacks leader. And I think this is another one of those categories that you file or one of those questions that you file under the, the, the category of if you don't pick this guy, then you are trying too hard. And since Nick Benito, Nick Benito is back this year and he led the team in sacks in 2020, I'm going to take the safe bet and pick him to lead the team in sacks in 2021 as well. But I do have a thought. Hey, you know, Jalen Redmond, he's back in 2021. The last time he played for Oklahoma in 2019, he led the team in sacks back then. Uh, and he didn't even play in every single game. <laughs> uh, but we do know that sacks don't normally come from those big, beefy guys on the interior line. Uh, like, just look at Perrion Winfrey. Like, he's big, scary dude. He only had a half a sack last year. So it's probably not going to be Jalen Redmond uh, leading the team in sacks uh, yet again. Uh, I'd, I'd say Isaiah Thomas. Uh, is maybe a dark horse. He had seven and a half last year. Last year, he was right behind Benito on his tail. Uh, so that's a possibility. But I, I decided to go with kind of the obvious one in Nick Benito. Grant, what do you think? It's Nick Benito season, baby. I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, where it's going to be Benito. I think kind of the more interesting here uh, talking point here is how many sacks for a season is realistic for for this team. And like, I actually went back and looked. So last season, um, I think the Sooners finished like fourth in the country in sacks last year. Um, if you did it by sacks per game, they were kind of a little bit further down, but still in the top 10. I think the, the team who led in sacks per game was like four and a half sacks per game is what it was. And so like that seemed a little, a little low to me, averaging four and a half sacks a game as, like, as you know, the country's leader as a team. That seemed a little low. And so I was thinking, I was like, is it? Is it super crazy outside, you know, outside the bounds of reason to think like can this can this defense get sixty sacks this season? Is that is that insane thinking that? Sixty sacks. So that was like be... I was going through I was going yeah. through, there is nowhere to find single season team sack records anywhere. Like I've I, I went through the first ten pages of Google. You can't find it. The NCAA doesn't put it anywhere, which is kind of weird if you know if you're asking me but um i don't know does like does playing in the big 12 with a lot of quick passes and whatnot does that artificially lower their sack total um do we is it better if we sort of judge them more by like pressure percentage or or quarterback hurries i know pro football focus does it that's something that ou was outstanding at last season um i don't know i i think there's just Everyone's kind of excited, right, of just this vision in their head of this defensive line just dominating and getting into the backfield and just just sacking the crap out of people at all times. Sacking the crap out of people. Interesting. <laughs> so you've referenced that Ohio State or those Ohio State teams from years ago, like when Alex Grinch was 
like, like one year. And remember, because they were always the, the Boza. Uh, he was there for just one year. It was just one year, yeah. But like you've referenced those teams, right? And like how many great players they had on their team. And yeah, the Bosa's. Their, de- their defensive Chase line Young. was supposed to be great. Chase Young, yeah. Well, none of those Ohio State teams got to 60. So I, I, I'm looking back at the last 10, 11 years. Nobody's, nobody's gotten to 60. Uh, the closest going through 2012. 20, in 2012, Stanford got to 57. That's the most I've seen. So if Oklahoma got to 60, that, that could be some kind of a record, man. I, okay, I, so that is, that's a lot. Okay, so... Um, well, about, I mean, yes. like, fi- I mean, if they get to 55, they're doing something great. I mean, they're, they get to 50, they're, they're having a great season. Yeah, that's, so. that's clearly really good. What about, um, what about TFLs? I, I'm starting to think here. And so, like, I, um, like 100 TFLs, I think that's completely within reason, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's less than 10 a game. What I would, like, I, is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to think maybe it's a possibility they average over 10 a game? Is that something that historically is reasonable that's something that I, that that was one area i didn't quite get to when i was doing my research um, well let me look again I, I have this in front of me last 10 or so years going back to 2009 so in 2018 miami florida averaged over 10 per game uh, let's see 2015 nothing 2014 in 2014 clemson averaged just over a shade uh 10 plus per game 2013 Clemson almost got there. 2012, no. 2011, no. So yes, it is possible. It's, it's been possible, done, but it would been, be. It, it's been done twice. Technically, it's been done three times because last year, uh, randomly, Pitt, <laughs> Pitt did it last year in 11 games. So it's kind of it's somewhat legitimate. I mean, they didn't play like four. So uh, Pitt actually did did it last year. So it's happened three times in the last. 11 years one two three four five six seven eight nine ten last 12 years my bad i'm sorry it's possible yes okay yeah so um i don't know i think uh i think the best version of this defense if, if this defense is really good this season it, it's going to be getting guys down behind the line of scrimmage putting teams off schedule that is where it's havoc that that that's where that's where they're going to bake their bread so man i'm so excited to watch them play it's it's gonna be like I haven't I haven't I'm trying to remember the last time I was excited for a defense. Um, had to have been like 2011. We've been excited for different reasons. Well, I was just say we've been excited on this podcast before the season begins for different reasons of like oh maybe they're gonna be a little bit better or maybe they won't be terrible. But this year it's like legitimate excitement of this team could be one of the best defenses in college football. And I'm not going to get two over my skis. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that they're at least like a top 20 defense, top 25. I mean, I, 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 I'm not even basing it off of like the super advanced metrics that I know you like to use a lot. I'm just I'm thinking in terms of, you know, total defense, yards per play. Because last season, if you go by those metrics, they were just inside the top 30 last season. So it's definitely doable. It'd be nice if they got into the top 20. I'm not going to expect them to be in the top 10 or whatever. I mean, they're still in the big 12. It's new college. I mean, you can't expect stuff like that, but yeah, your, your point is taken. I mean, it's, we have legitimate expectations and excitement for a team that could be one of those defenses where it's like, man, teams are actually kind of not looking forward to facing Oklahoma on the defensive, uh, defensive side. I think a lot of that excitement comes from everyone just know. I mean, the front six, the front seven is going to be outstanding. I mean, the best, definitely the best since 2008, 
or or 2009 probably is a better a better team to use there. Um, but this was this was a front a defensive front last season that we saw athletically overwhelming teams every single week. All these guys are back. All of them they are just back. Gotta get home. They just got to get home. Got to get home. Gotta All of them are back. The there's, I mean, there's there's more depth at linebacker now. More depth on the defensive line. Um, whew, it's it, it's it's been a while since I you know since OU has been able to to reliably say, I mean, yeah, we can we can athletically overwhelm everyone on our schedule. That's something that really only Clemson can do right now in the country. Next category: most important offensive player aside from obviously Spencer Rattler because we all know the quarterback is the most important position on the field. I think I went last time first, so go ahead, Grant. Who's your most most important offensive player? Well, I kind of cheated here. I couldn't really choose. Ah, um, so did I. I cheated as well. So, all right, how about I'll do the first one, and then you can do yours, and we'll, we'll just kind of go back and forth, yeah? Uh, okay. So my first one is actually Jaden Hazelwood. Um, and I, I put this in there because it's the big unknown. So if Hazelwood... Finally healthy, is as advertised, number one wide receiver in the country coming out of high school. We know that will take the offense to a totally different dimension. So if Jaden Hazelwood is, is the guy that we all think he is, the guy that we expected him to be when he signed in, in 2019, sky's the limit. Sky's the limit for this passing game because then you, you, then you have two big play threats and we, we know what this offense looks like when, when you have two big big play threats in the passing game maybe even three you throw woods in there and that's and that's the thing too yeah i i kind of it may might have been smarter just to say whoever steps up as the number two receiver behind mims um but it, i mean it'd be great if they're both awesome that even better so who's your first guy so i the way i cheated here is i basically did a position group and this is a callback to the start of the show i, I said it's kennedy brooks and eric gray because it's all about health to me their health is paramount and yeah, in, in the past, longtime listeners may remember that I, I tend to downplay the importance of running back and talented running backs in football because I've always been of the mind that a great offensive line is the key and any jerk can just get behind a good offensive line and run through open holes. And I still think that is true to some extent. But after 2020, watching TJ Pledger and Seth McGowan and at times Marcus Major struggle to run and then seeing Ramondre Stevenson come back behind the same offensive line and look a lot better than those guys, it, it made me realize, well, I already knew that Ramondre Stevenson was really good, but it also made me realize that, okay, this is what, hap- what happens when a high-level running back comes in here and mixes with an offensive line that, that is talented. Good things happen. And so both Brooks and Gray are capable starters. They could start for, any, for a lot of teams in college football. If one of them misses time, or God help us, both miss time, then I think Oklahoma's kind of hopes and dreams this season are just are, they're done because the, the depth in that running back room is not very good. Um, I think you're being a little hyperbolic there. Um, I mean, it depends. If there, if there are injury issues, just, it depends on when it happens. Um, OU's schedule is not, not particularly difficult this season. Um, and and I, we'll get when to that I, later. And so, yeah, we'll get to this point, too, where it's like if, if OU is to the, to the point where they should be, them, them losing Kennedy Brooks or Eric Gray for a game or two should not matter whatsoever. 
Well, I'm not talking about a game or two. I'm talking. I'm, th- I'm talking like extended period of time. Oh, like, extended period. Yeah, I mean that would be bad. I mean, say. yeah, that wouldn't be good. Like yeah, I mean, especially yeah, I mean, Eric Gray, who is clearly going to be a huge part of the offense. Well, I mean, anyone can get through one or you know one game or two games. I'm talking like if if both of these guys are like maybe like Gray misses three games here, and it's just like one guy, or and then maybe Brooks gets nicked up and they're both out. I mean that I don't know. It, yeah, like I'm th- I'm thinking like worst case scenario type health okay. problems. I would kind of. I, I would sort of push back on you. Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, oh, uh, you need, like, their offense especially needs the running game to, to click, so the play action clicks, et cetera, et cetera. But also at the same time, man, if they get to the college football playoff, and if they if they're able to win a college football playoff game or win a national championship, it's going to be Spencer Rattler and Marvin Mims and Jaden Hazelwood and Mike Woods who win it for him. It's not going to be Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. And so, like, that's why... Um, they, they got an entire season to figure it out, hopefully. Um, but, and, but also I could see, you know, Eric Gray, especially if he's a big part of the passing game though. Um, when you start to, when you start to add kind of the explosive element there, that's where I can kind of change my mind. Cause yeah, you, you saying, um, I, I would push back on you saying it, it really is mostly the offensive line and you sort of still kind of thinking that your point is taken, but there's a huge difference between Joe Mixon and TJ Pleasure, and um, I know you you weren't around too much while Mixon was here, um, but man, like there are some running backs that are just different, and those are the guys that you want. So I, it's obviously you know still remains to be seen whether or not Eric Gray is that guy. We know who Kennedy Brooks is, um, but I I think they're more important just for stability throughout the season, throughout the regular season. Uh, they're nice to have in those playoff games, but I, I just I it's if you're playing a really good team in the playoff game that it, you're probably going to struggle running the ball just in general. So I don't know. All right, who's your other guy? Uh, Anton Harrison. Right. And so uh, it's maybe putting too much on him to expect him to be elite right now, but if he is indeed the next great offensive lineman at Oklahoma. I, like, I think people are going to be surprised by how much the better the offense runs in, in that regard. I mean, this is the difference between Orlando Brown um, and, and Eric Swenson at left tackle or uh, <laughs> Bobby Evans or R.J. Proctor. So, uh, you know, OU hasn't had very good left tackle play since Bobby Evans in 2018, and they haven't had elite left tackle play since, since Orlando Brown. So, uh, I, you know, their, their offense the last two seasons has been missing like really, really great left tackle play, and I, I, I kind of think that makes the offense hum a lot more, especially if Spencer Rattler just doesn't have to worry about his blind side because he gets a little jumpy back there sometimes, just a little bit, just a little bit. And so, in your mind, Anton Harrison is going to be the starting left tackle then? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know who else it would be at this point. I, I think if you just read the tea leaves, uh, just kind of piece together reports and everything, yeah, I mean, it's he's the guy, I think. Okay. Yeah, I just I have yet to uh, aside from Andrew Rame in my mind, I, I just I haven't even thought about who's going to be the starting on the offensive line. But a big part of that is because I, I really I don't care. I, I they're going to figure it out. It's fine. I I, I just don't like it, it's okay. This is one of those situations where I need to see it in the game. I need to see action for me to have a take on it. Like I because it's uh yeah it, it's just difficult for me to to think about like oh man like I we've had not a good they haven't had good you know left tackle play and stuff like haven't haven't they I don't know I mean I don't know 
again, this is we had this discussion last week where my thoughts on the offensive line. Just well, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, Lee, it's like, I mean, Orlando Brown is one of the best offensive linemen in the world. Like he's of course, there's going to be a difference between him and RJ Proctor at left tackle. Yeah. I mean, OK. Uh, OK, so we uh, we're, we're different on that one. Uh, now it's most important defensive player. And so this is the category where uh, I I can guarantee we're not going to have uh, the same the same guy here. And, and uh, I'll, I'll go first just because, uh, boy, th- this might be one of my greatest answers. And at the same time, it also could be like the dumbest thing I've said. Maybe. Oh, in my a while. God. So I'm going to say the name of the guy and then I'm going to give you the reason. And it's going to make sense. I promise. So my most important defensive player is Key Lawrence. And here's why. The defensive line is stacked. We know that. There's plenty of players. There are, a lot of them are going to play. Nick Benito is very important. Yes, of course. That's, that's too obvious. Uh, there's also a lot of depth there on the edge. Uh, there's depth at linebacker. I'm not particularly concerned with that level of the defense. I'm very happy about corner at Oklahoma. I love the talent of Woody Washington and DJ Graham. Throwing D- Jaden Davis, McCutcheon, Harrington. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Then there's safety. Two of the longest tenured guys on this defense, DTY, Pat Fields. They're fine players, but they're mostly not flashy players. What if Key Lawrence is a more talented, flashy type player? And that gives Oklahoma someone in the back end that can not only make the routine plays that that we want Oklahoma safeties to make, but also make some wow plays as well, because you don't get a lot of that out of Pat Fields and Delarian Turner Yell. Now, I don't know if Key Lawrence is that guy. But if he is, I think that could mean that he's potentially the most important guy on this defense because of the questions at safety. And I don't know much about Jordan Mukes. I don't know much about Bryson Washington. Uh, Just like I don't know much about Key Lawrence. But it's a feeling. I know we don't like to do feelings much on this podcast. But I do feel better about Key Lawrence than I do about those other players. How about that, Grant? What do you think about that? Most important defensive player. It's logical. I don't know if I... I agree with sort of the angle you're going with there um i mean uh, key, key lawrence emerging i think is really important this year I, I mean that's anyone emerging at safety is you know to to battle pat fields and dty is really important um but yeah i mean i i i just i went a little too matter of fact on that it's benito it's it's obviously benito is their most important player um and i you know a fast edge rusher can break down an offense more reliably than anything else on a defense um and I'm, I'm not even i'm not necessarily even just thinking about what nick benito can do just as a single person but what about the attention that nick that nick benito demands and when he demands that sort of attention that means other guys who are going to play in the nfl aren't getting the same the same attention as well um and you know we, we already saw that play out last year at times too um but yeah, I mean, if, if Nick Benito has taken a step this year, and he he really is bona fide All-American, he's going to get 12, 13 sacks, 20 TFLs. I mean, yeah, he is he's going to absolutely legitimize this defense almost by himself if he does that. That's how big of a deal a dominant pass rusher is. Um, all right, and yeah. that's a, okay. that's that's not. I so, see your point. Yeah, I see your point. It's a big deal. If it, you take you take Benito off that off that defensive line, it's still really good. Still really really good. But at that point, you're still you're counting on true freshman Clayton Smith or maybe a undersized Marcus Stripling, 
uh, to to produce the same sort of attention, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, no, you make some make some valid points. You know, about, about Nick Benito. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, th- that's the obvious one. I was trying to go outside the box there with that. I was really racking my brain because it's just it's Nick Benito, Nick Benito, Nick Benito. There, there's actually also one other player I considered for this category that's outside the box as well. Even yeah, I, I I wouldn't even say it's more outside the box than Key Lawrence, but it, it'll make sense because I'm going to be talking about this player later in the podcast. So how do you like that for a professional tease there? How do you like that? That's God. I was. That, is is it the same player that you teased earlier? It actually is. <laughs> okay, so I I think I've, I've I've I think I know exactly who it is, but we'll yeah, uh, you, you we'll, probably we'll do. see. You probably do. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's flip it. Let's go to the offensive side. Sleeper. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay, no, that, yeah, this is new. My bad. My bad. I got a little ahead of myself there because we just did most important player. Now we got to go sleeper impact players so like guys that aren't getting a whole lot of publicity we're not talking a whole lot about we don't already know that's awesome so sleeper impact players on offense and here's a caveat i'm not talking about true freshmen so they can't be a true freshman because we have that as its own category coming up later in the podcast and by later in the podcast i mean next after this so this could be kind of interesting because it can't be a true freshman but it's got to be somebody that's a little bit under the radar that maybe people aren't talking about. So, Grant, who is your sleeper impact player on offense? And I racked my brain on this one. Braden Willis was the only one I could come up with, really. Right. Um, and I, you know, I I went over this I think on the last podcast. Uh, he's just never been healthy. He's a guy who who is a really good athlete. He's he's the best athlete in that room. He's huge. Uh, we we've seen him make big time plays. We've seen him make elite athleticism plays. Um, can he stay healthy? I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find out. I mean, it's it's never a bad thing when you if, you know, if if you have this guy in your back pocket, right? I mean, it, it, he can do a lot of things. He can block, he can go out for passes. Um he's a guy who if he if he's healthy the entire season, he's going to make a handful of really big plays this year. Um if he's healthy, that's based on history, that's a pretty big if at this point in time. But hey, he changed his number, and that's smart. That's smart on his yeah. part. Kind of, kind of uh, changing the mojo up a little bit. Yeah, I basically asked him the question last week. Hey, you, Austin, Jeremiah, you got some some big, you know, really talented players in that room. What kind, like, if all of you are able to to stay on the field and be healthy, you know, what can you all do, you know, for this offense? Like, how? how could, I, I, I didn't, I didn't stumble over the question like this really when I asked him, and, and he basically said, Yeah, I mean, so far so good. We're all healthy. We're all good. If if we, you know, can all stay on the field, we can help make this offense the standard of college football. And he's not wrong. I mean, if, if all of those guys can be available, I'm really curious to see what Lincoln Riley can do with it. Uh, real quick, I, this is kind of cheating. This is not my guy. But Trey Bradford, I think, is the obvious one. But he's, he's not a fre- like a true freshman, but he, he's a new player. So he's kind of like a true freshman. I think he's probably the pretty obvious kind of sleeper impact guy that's going to get some touches this year. But – I, I think you were probably staying away from him just because it's kind of too obvious. Is that fair to say? Yeah. 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 Uh, and the other guy I thought about uh, was Drake Stoops was the other guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, you know, we, we all these all these headlines of uh, the new guys coming in, Hazelwood being being healthy, Mike Woods coming in, Mario Williams coming in. Uh, Drake Stoops was really solid last year. Yeah. A, a, a legitimately good college football player. He is. Yeah. And that was my other possible answer to this question. But for my actual answer, I cheated a little bit because I have two players 
and they're both wide receivers. And their names are probably names maybe none of you have really ever heard before. But then again, you have because you're Oklahoma fans and you probably know the roster uh, from top to bottom. They're both sophomores, Trayvon West and Brian Darby. I've heard some chatter about them getting some reps in fall camp. And you know, what does that mean? I don't know. Could be nothing. Could be everything. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it's probably nothing considering you know, all the different guys ahead of them on the depth chart. We would assume would be ahead of them on the depth chart. But I have heard that those guys are getting uh, some, some quality reps in camp. I've heard that there is legitimate Trayvon West buzz. That he may be a player. Which I think kind of surprises every. I kind of surprised me a little bit because he was going to leave the team. Um, I mean, it was, it was just like two weeks ago. I just I thought that he wasn't with the program, um, and so. But then he just kind of showed up again, which which is great. I thought he looked. Um, I think he really only played against Missouri State last year, but I thought he looked he looked really natural out there. I think he caught a couple passes. He he looked comfortable. So uh, I don't know. I mean, that's that's great. That's awesome. It, it's it, it's always especially with the pass catchers, you want you want a lot of competition in that room. So that's another one of those things where I'm just like, I don't just how many balls are there to go around? Right. right. Like you know, I that that's a tough. That, that's a really deep room of receivers they got. Right, let's go over to the defensive side of the ball, Grant. Sleeper impact player on defense. Uh, my my memory's bad. Did you go first? You went first. Wait, wait. No, I did go first. It's your turn. It's my turn. Okay. Uh, okay, we've reached it. We've reached the 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 teasable moment. All right. So, but, but before we get to that, though, I I do want to say I really wanted to make the case for Jamal Morris here because a few weeks ago, you all may remember on the podcast, I predicted that he would be an unsung defensive player who would be getting talked up by some coaches and his teammates. Ah, that hasn't necessarily happened now that we're a few weeks into camp. But I will point out though that I asked Deshaun White about the scrimmage or no but did I ask him I can't remember yeah I think I asked Deshaun White about one of their first scrimmages and Deshaun White did compliment Jamal Morris said he had a good scrimmage so hey, I mean there's there's something his name was mentioned by at least one player uh but uh it, he it sounds like he has not gotten all the hype that maybe I thought he would but that was a, a straight up dart throw so here is my guy though sleeper impact player on defense oh you know I just blew this uh, the, the tease continues it's coming later this is a different guy. <laughs> but I, I'll be curious to see if you have the same guy as me. I'm going to go with sophomore Reggie Grimes. You got that raw talent. He's at the defensive end position. There's going to be a lot of snaps there. He's, he's big and long. He's 6'4", 258, moves pretty well, looked pretty good in the spring game. And again, I mean, there's going to be a lot of snaps there, potentially, along with Isaiah Thomas, Marcus Stripling, Ethan Downs, uh, Nathan Rollins, Kibonge. Uh, I mean... We all remember Grimes, at least, well, I shouldn't say we all remember. You probably told me, and I've heard from people, he was really raw coming out of high school. We're like, hey, what? he's pretty talented, but he's, he's kind of raw. He's been a year in the program now, going into year two. Let's say that he's going to have some chances this year to contribute and stand out a little bit. So Reggie Grimes is my sleeper impact defensive player. I like that one. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And so, yeah, he was a, uh, a five-star guy going into his senior uh, okay. year of high school. And then was removed from five-star status after his senior year of high school, which sometimes can be a pretty big red flag. Uh, but no, when he was out there last year, he looked—he totally looked like he belonged, especially in terms of his physicality, his size. Uh, he's a guy who physically reminds me a lot of Amani Bledsoe. They have very similar body types. Um, 
they did. They played the same position too. So I mean, we'll we'll see. I don't know if he's as good as Amani Bledsoe. That's that's good. That's great. Yeah, cool. That'd be great. Um, yeah. So um, I cheated on this one. I got two guys here. Um, and I'm actually going. I'm. These are two familiar names. These guys have played a lot, but um, they're just you know. Um, and I've already talked about one. So my my guys Lee are Jaden Davis and DTY. Um, and I have a theme here. I, I have a reason for saying this. How about a little? How just little love for the two elder statesmen in the secondary not named pat fields <laughs> I was gonna say, what um, about pat fields <laughs> you know there's uh there's ample history of upperclassmen defensive backs in this program especially at you know since the turn of the century um who either had you know disappointing early careers or just didn't really contribute or when they did they were ineffective only to rebound and have really good senior years um and and uh so guys who come to mind would be quentin carter was a guy who we didn't hear from at all uh, as an underclassman, and then was was pretty good his junior year, and then was an All American his senior year. Uh, Jonathan Nelson in two thousand and nine was a guy who had never really gotten any run prior to that, um, and then he had a really good upperclassman career too at safety, just really steady. Uh, Quentin Hayes from two thousand and fourteen I think is a really good example of that too. He had a really solid season. Gabe Lynn from twenty thirteen, who's a disappointment throughout uh, as an underclassman, had a really solid, really good. Uh, 2013 had a pick in that Sugar Bowl against Alabama, and most recently Trey Norwood, as well. So, um, whoa, whoa, and, whoa, and whoa, Trey, whoa, whoa, Norwood's whoa. a little. Yeah, come on, don't don't be bad. Trey Norwood was pretty consistent, with the exception of tackling here and there his first year. Uh, Consistent-ish, but extremely unspectacular. Okay, but go um, ahead. Sorry. So yeah, I, I just you know, <laughs> how about two guys who have mostly been good for OU? How about they take that step and you know turn into guys that OU can count on to make big plays? Jaden Davis steps in front of one and takes it to the house. DTY, Ooh. few fumble recoveries, maybe a you know, uh, maybe a sack in a big game, Ooh, something wow. like that. Wow, yeah. It's, there, there's, there's. This is not. I mean, these are upperclassmen. These are guys who have played a lot of college football in big spots in big games. It's you know. Um, seniority in the secondary experience in the secondary is a big deal you get a lot better back there when you're more comfortable when you don't have to think as much and of course that's going to happen more with guys who have been around longer um so it just it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see a jump from these two guys this year just turning into guys who are just solid players that you can count on to work within their skill sets maybe them sort of blossoming into something a little bit more they they don't have to think as much and they can they they can finally make some massive plays and DTY has you know his foot has kind of been in and out of that for a bit. Uh, Jane Davis though I think he's just he's just been kind of a solid guy. We know he's sticky in coverage, but other than that hasn't really made a ton of big plays. He's been beat a couple times in his career, notably uh, against Baylor in 2019 at Baylor and then at Iowa State last year. I don't know. I I, I think you know he, he's a guy who has put a lot of good football on tape. Uh, but also a guy who has ne- who hasn't made a massive play yet, um, and I, I think that's probably coming. I think, and we're going to see a lot of Jaden Davis this year. We, we we just are. It's you, you don't come around a lot of guys who are as um, who are team players like him. I mean, he's been the third corner for the last two years, and he's he's taken that and ran with it. I mean, that's his role, and he's done a good job. And hopefully, he kind of carves out some more snaps this year, based on his ability and him starting to make more plays. Oh yeah. I think we're going to see that. Yeah, Jaden Davis, all around good guy, all around team guy. That's, you can't not root for him. And I'd love for him to take a, a big jump here in this next season. That'd be great. Next category to our true freshman. 
so same kind of idea, except for now we're going to talk about the true freshman. It kind of goes without saying. Let's start with the offense. Uh, and, I mean, this is easy. I, we're both going to have the same one uh, for this category. The, the true freshman impact player on offense, Mario Williams. Uh, he's been talked up uh, in spring. He's been talked up in the fall. He legitimately could be one of Oklahoma's top receivers this year, Grant. I mean, it's, it's, not, out of, it's not out of the realm of possibilities. So uh, I'm going to go with him. I'm going to guess that you picked Mario Williams as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know who else you pick. Um, Savion Bird is the only other freshman that it kind of sounds like has maybe has potential to get playing time. Uh, I know on Gabe and Teddy's podcast, they said Jalil Farouk uh, had a really good scrimmage on on Saturday. Uh, gosh, you may need to get him on the field just because he is he's on the all name team. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Mario Williams is a guy who's just been consistent. You just you've heard his name consistently. Um, he was a big part of the spring game, big part of their offense there. Um, I, I think I put him down like sixth on the, uh, like in terms of like the options for pass catchers. And that may, that, that may be wrong for sure. Just based on how, how present that he has been on this team since spring. Um, I, yeah. Who else though? I, I, like, I don't, I haven't heard of any other freshmen that have, that have, um, that have done really well outside of the, the Farouk nugget. And then I, I know Savion bird physically looks great. Uh, but I mean, that's it's tough for a true freshman. Yeah, it's, yeah, on this offense. I mean, the only other guy that you haven't mentioned is Cody Jackson, but I haven't heard much about him. Uh, another highly recruited wide receiver, kind of built in the same size and mold as Mario Williams. But yeah, I mean, that's the the no doubt, uh, no brainer, true freshman impact player. I mean, he's going to play right away. Just curious to see how much he can con- contribute. Over to the defensive side. So oh. is he? So he's he's not is is he not your guy? This was this wasn't what I, oh. I was gonna guess. He's not your secret guy, no. Uh, because I was gonna say, uh, uh, Percy Harvin was a receiver and a running uh, back at Florida. Yeah. I why can't let's 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 try to do the same thing. Yeah. Did Mario Williams play running back in high school at all? I'm sure he probably took. Some I have snaps. no idea, but they're both they're both short, fast guys. Yeah. So no, no, it's not Mario Williams. No, I thought maybe you had had this one. Uh, all right. No, I do have it. I, I'm pretty sure I I do, but I was just at this was no. it was this was one of my. Uh, one of my guesses, but I, I'm pretty sure I know the other Okay. One. Yeah, you probably do. And speaking of that, let's go to the true freshman impact player on defense. And I got a feeling that we're going to have the same one here just based off of our conversations and today. And so I'm going to start because, I mean, here's the thing. This isn't the same as the offensive one. I mean, it was basically Mario Williams and, and, and that's it. Defense, there's a lot of different options you can go with here. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go over all of them now just in case, you know, I steal one of your picks, and I, I want to be organic. So I'll just come out and say it. Billy Bowman, true freshman impact player on defense. It's Billy Bowman for me. He's got the potential to be an immediate contributor on the defense and also on special teams, by the way. Uh, in fact, and he, here's what I've been hearing. I've, been, I've heard that Bowman may have already won the starting nickel job. Week one, you might be already seeing him starting on this defense as a true freshman at a position like nickel. That's what I've been hearing. He's already won the job. If that's the case, uh, he obviously will have a chance to, to help this team, like literally uh, right away. So Billy Bowman is my guy. And because I mentioned the special teams thing, Billy Bowman is the player that I think he played offense in high school. He could play running back. Why couldn't he? I'm assuming he played a little bit of running back in high school. If Oklahoma is in a super emergency situation and and he does end up starting at nickel and they think he's that good and they're going to put him on, I don't know, punt return or kick return, wherever they're going to use him on special teams, it's 100, like 
99.99% not going to happen. But I I would bet that if Oklahoma, again, is in like an emergency running back situation, Billy Bowman's name might get brought up in that coach's room. Uh, what about Billy? <laughs> Especially if he's having a good season. So that's my guy, true freshman impact player, Billy Bowman. Grant, who are you going with? Yeah, I got Bowman too. Because, um, I, what, I mean – Geez, throughout even like since the spring, and we heard a lot about Latrell McCutcheon and Clayton Smith. Danny Stussman has kind of been the talk of of the summer camp on, in terms of defense. I feel like Billy Bowman has been the has been the one that everyone knows he's he's going to play this year, but sort of kind of not not the one that people are least excited about because I'm excited about Billy Bowman, but it was I think it was probably the least sexy of all of the ones. Um, but yeah, Lee, I mean you're you're the. Uh, Teddy and Gabe on their podcast, Teddy said that he's heard that that Bowman may have won the Nickelback job too. Um, and so, like, I, you can't get any more of a freshman impact than starting day one. Man. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think it's pretty, like, I think it's pretty clear, right? I mean, we're going to see a lot of Billy Bowman. We're going to see a lot of Latrell McCutcheon. And we're probably going to see a little bit of Clayton Smith and Danny Stutzman as well. I think those are going to be the four freshmen that we see. Um, who knows? I mean, we might see Kelvin Gillian. That guy's clearly physically ready to play. Uh, but also, I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty loaded loaded yeah. room that he's in. So I'm excited. You know, I'm excited for these freshmen. I do have to. I I obviously have to ask the question though. Should we be a little worried about that? That Billy Bowman came in and and is, is seemingly has beat out Jeremiah Cradell right away. I'm not, not at all. I I don't watch a whole lot of high school tape. I watched this high school tape. I talked about it on the podcast. It, it looked good. I, he's yeah. This he's dude's like, like the real deal. Don't get me wrong. Super impressed with this guy. Really impressed with him, especially like his his high school stuff. Um, I, I've been I've been fooled before though. You never know. Like when you're kind of thrown in, when oh, you're yeah. thrown into the Big Twelve. You know, they're it's not you know they're not facing any high powered passing attacks really in the first you know the first month of the season. But um, there's a guy. I mean, Billy Bowman was kind of a he's a bit of a social media star this this past week or so. Just his his glow up. I mean, he's he's put on a lot of good weight since the spring. You go like there was a, there was a picture of him taken at practice where I mean he's 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 ripped he's huge mm-hmm. I mean his his upper body is large like he's a he's kind of a shorter guy he's like five ten five eleven probably closer to five ten but uh, you watch him move just go watch high school tape he's he's an elite athlete that that's that's a guy that you know even if he has uh, overtaken Cordell which it sounds like he has um, and of course Buki played that a lot last season I think you're obviously getting an uh, an athleticism upgrade there I, I think that's that's pretty clear um who knows you know i it's just, well we'll see he's his body type to me is is okay for that uh i think for that position he, he doesn't he doesn't look unsimilar to a lot of nickelbacks in the nfl in terms of size and sort of his his size profile he's got a lot of long ways to go there but uh we'll see just just another guy to be excited about i hope he's Hope he's ready to be thrown to the wolves. Oh, he'll be ready. <laughs> like, like I, like I know. Uh, a couple of other freshmen. I, I don't think he mentioned these guys, but I mean, they're going to get snaps. They're going to get their shot. Uh, Jordan Mukes in the in the back end, and Ethan Downs. I mean, all these freshmen, they're going to get snaps. Oh, Downs. Yeah. yeah. That's just the question. Is you think Mukes will? Oh yeah, yeah. He'll get he'll get a shot. We'll give him a shot. I mean, Grinch Grinch gives everybody snaps, especially early in the year. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if they're like I said, yeah. If if, if this if this team is what they should be this year, and they're they're Clemsoning people. That yeah, then yes, Jordan Mukes is going to play. I mean, I'm not saying like he's going to. I I guess my point is like they're going to get a chance to show Grinch that they can play. Like I mean, they're going to get snaps early on in the year, and then if they can't cut it, then the snaps will 
will start to get taken away. That's just that's the way Grinch has worked. I mean, he he's going to play everybody and see what happens. That's the way he and I think that's a, a big reason why these guys buy in so much because everybody knows that they're going to get a shot. <laughs> and I, I don't know if walk-ons get the same kind of shot because I mean that would be super extreme. Maybe they do. I don't know, but. Uh, certainly if you're a scholarship. Brian Mead, man. Brian, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, he's, he's definitely gotten plenty of shots. Uh, all right, so that's all of the individual player categories we have for Oklahoma. But we do have some team and season-long categories. Man, we are – this is just, uh, as Colin Coward would say, a gigantic football meat sandwich. And I'm having a great time, by the way. This is, this is fun. I'm so excited for college football. Oh, man. Me too. It's the greatest thing in the world. Me too. We're 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 that. Oh, and I don't know. I'm getting way ahead of ourselves. That first Saturday, that September fourth. There's so many good, so many good games that day. Yeah. Um, I'd be pissed if I was a if I was a Power Five team who had to open with a conference game the first week of the season. But man, it's good TV. Yeah. It's great week one TV. But man, I love it's it. Great TV. So this next category is actually a category that. One of our listeners on Facebook was curious about, and that listener is Harry. So, Harry, I saw your comment on Facebook, and that is identifying Oklahoma's trap game. This is always kind of a fun one. Uh, we just kind of go over the schedule, and we talk about what we think our trap game is, Grant. And I'll let you take the first crack at this one because I went ahead and went first with Billy Bowman. Sure. So, I have uh, I, I, I have the, the trap game that I settled on, and then I have one other game that I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you do yours first before I go to the second one. Uh, so mine here is West Virginia on Sept- on September 25th. Um, so I-, I think conventional wisdom is that the next week in Manhattan is the one that that the Sooners are gonna are kind of you know, gonna be looking forward to because they've lost to them two years in a row. Uh, generally speaking, I think OU probably lays waste to Kansas State this year, um, and that that's probably not that big of a deal. I'm looking out for West Virginia there. Um, I think it kind of fits into the the home loss that comes out of nowhere bit. Uh, it's sandwiched between Nebraska and at Kansas State. You have a defense coming back that I know has lost some guys to the transfer porter, lost some guys to the NFL. Uh, Tyke Smith's at Georgia now. They still have Dante Stills in the middle as well. Um, but this is a team that did show pretty clear improvement last season, year over year from 2019. We know Neil Brown can coach. We know he's going to come in with a, with a decent game plan or at least a game plan that's going to give his team probably the best shot to win. I have no idea if Jarrett Dagey has the chops to go in and, and, and beat a top two team in the country on the road like that. But they got some pretty, they, I, I think it, you know, they have some potential on the outside with skill position players too. Um, that's not the only reason why I'm picking this, Lee. That's kind of like, I, West Virginia has never beaten Oklahoma in the Big 12. And I, I just, I am, I am, going on the assumption that this is the last season that Oklahoma is playing in the Big 12. I know there's a lot of stuff that has to happen, but that's just my assumption right now. And I'm just kind of scared to death of OU never losing to West Virginia in the Big 12 um, into the last year. And it's not like West Virginia is Kansas here. Like this isn't, this is a team that's going to come in and they're going to have a good idea of how they can win the game. Um, And they got some guys who can do it. Uh, So this is, this one to me is pretty clear, I think, is the trap game. Otherwise, I think their schedule sets up pretty well. So we're, for the most part, simpatico, but I, I, I will say, I looked over the schedule. I don't think Oklahoma has a true trap game this year, like a true trap game. And the one game that I pointed, pointed out that, that could be kind of is West Virginia on September 25th. 
uh, and you you nailed why and you know that the whole, but the the K State thing I mean uh, especially why K State's not going to be is because they've lost to K State the last two years there's zero chance that Oklahoma overlooks Kansas State so that's that ain't happening uh, but why I don't think this is this West Virginia game is a true trap game is this is Oklahoma's Big Twelve opener this is the first conference game uh, and last season they didn't play West Virginia so it's kind of like a newish opponent like. So even though they're going to be coming off of Nebraska, which we all hope is a, a pretty big dominating win, I, this, I don't see them overlooking West Virginia. I think they're going to be focused like, hey, let's open up Big 12 play right. Let's do this. Let's do this right. Newish opponent. I mean, I could argue that that's a, that's a negative thing for OU. West Virginia is not really anything like they were in 2019 when they came to Norman. It's a really, it's a really different team. Yeah, so. but also West Virginia as well. There's some red flags on that team, that roster. There and, are, and I think that there that's are. also I mean, factoring into why I, I it's it's not I don't know if it was at West Virginia certainly I, I'd be a lot more I guess like my my antenna would be up West Virginia has a really interesting schedule before they play OU I think they play they play Virginia Tech and they play at Maryland uh in in the in the the three weeks before OU and then I think they have a an FCS team there too but uh so I mean we're gonna we're gonna be able to see West Virginia against two Power Five teams um, before they come to Norman, and I, like, what if they come in one and two, and people are just sort of overlooking them? And like, eh, but I don't know. Um, but the other one that I want to put up there, and people may laugh at this. People may. Um, my sirens are going off a little bit with the Nebraska game. Everybody, um, it's like I'm. I'm not saying that this is likely at all. I'm just saying like it's just the fan base's rhetoric has been way over the top for this game. Just like assuming, assuming they win by sixty and just destroying them, Nebraska is the fourth toughest opponent this year for OU per the preseason SP plus. They're thirty second in that. They return every starter from a defense that was very functional last season. Um, Nebraska really is not a terrible team. Um, this is going to be the best team that Scott Frost has had at Nebraska. I'm not saying that that means they should be competitive with OU in this game or. Um, or that OU is really in any danger losing this game. Nebraska's just not a bad football team. They're not. Um, and I think people need to go into this game knowing that and realizing that, that there could be instances <laughs> where they don't play well in this game because Nebraska practices too, and they're not terrible. So the reason why Nebraska's not, not concerning me at all, that program is kind of in disarray right now. Uh, all of a sudden, now they're being investigated for potential NCAA rule violations. Uh, That's weak, weak, weak. T. I, I don't know. I heard somebody say like they could potentially trying to be setting them up, kind of the same way they set up um, the dude at Tennessee, like where like they, they could get they could fire them and get. Uh, oh, get, for get, sure. Yeah, maybe they're doing that. I'm just saying the allegations are every every school does that. Every single school does that. If if like if Nebraska gets in trouble for that, that's BS. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at my notes on Nebraska. It it comes down to Adrian Martinez. If he's a good player, then sure, you can have a little bit of concern. If he's the Adrian Martinez that doesn't push the ball down the field and just checks down a lot and doesn't really scare you like outside of maybe a couple of runs a game, then I don't think there's much to be really concerned about. 
Adrian Martinez and Spencer Sanders are have very very similar energy, <laughs> very similar. I, I'd say Spencer Sanders probably a little is probably a little better than Adrian Martinez. Um, probably he's made a little bit you know more throws than Martinez has throughout his career. But man, those are those are two really similar players. Sure, uh, I, there's one other potential trap game, but again, I, I don't think there's a true trap game based on my my opinion. And the other other one I, I've looked at was October 16th home against TCU and simply because this is the game after OU Texas and it's like oh I mean that's all the classic is there going to be a, a post Texas letdown but uh, I will say you go back the last three seasons Oklahoma's immediate game after Texas they have not been letdowns at all uh, last year Oklahoma beat up TCU in Fort Worth after the Texas game in 2019 they absolutely destroyed West Virginia in Norman and 2018, they beat up TCU uh, in Fort Worth. So what did I say? So, uh, yeah, I guess they're both in Fort Worth, weren't they? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 2020, 2018. Yeah, so, but the last two times in Fort Worth, they beat up TCU. You got to go back to 2017 with Baker Mayfield and all those guys when they had that close win over Texas where that Mark Andrews play at the end that got them the lead. The next week was that come-from-behind win at K-State. With Rodney Anderson with those long touchdowns, that, so that was that was a post Texas letdown where Oklahoma almost let that game get away, and they won. So, but the last three years though, they have not had a post Texas letdown. Should OU be concerned with uh, Oregon transfer Tyler Shuck and um, Eric Usenkama and Texas Tech coming to Norman? I've been sort of interested by that. I think I, I think uh, Oregon's that's a huge upgrade at quarterback this year for Texas Tech, um, and that, that's not saying that that Tyler Shuck is like great or anything. Um, I don't know, but he's, he's, he's definitely a, an upgrade over Alan Bowman and who what Henry Columbia, I think was the guy who was, is, uh, has Shuck been named the starter? Cause I think Columbia's still there. I mean, I, I can't imagine Columbia beating out Shuck. I mean, cause you know, Columbia is, you know, awful. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if they've announced the start. I'm trying to look it up right now. But uh, yeah, Shuck. But is generally Tech speaking, starting. no, I'm not, I'm actually not too concerned by that because Matt Wells is totally in over his head in the Big Twelve. Okay, so Shuck has been named the starting quarterback. So the reason why, like you mentioned, Tech, that's fair. The reason why I didn't consider that one is because it's the week after Kansas, and I know Kansas has a new head coach, but it's Kansas, so I would hope that Oklahoma would try to get refocused, playing like a quote unquote, sorry Kansas, a real team. But I guess now look at it again. Oklahoma's on a bye after Texas Tech. Could they be looking ahead to the bye week? Could they look past Texas Tech into the bye week? Ah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it's possible. Uh, but then, you know, you're coming off the bye. By the way, Harry on the West of Everest Facebook page, he says his trap game is at Baylor, which is on November the 13th. The reason why I didn't consider Baylor, Harry, is because it's coming after a bye. They're coming after a bye at Baylor. And plus, Baylor also played Oklahoma very close last year. And they're going to remember that. I think... I considered the Baylor game too. I think a lot of people when the schedule first came out pointed towards that game as a potential trap game. I just, I mean, I, I just think Baylor's going to be so inept on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they, they, they're just, they're not going to be explosive at all. Um, I, their, their defense may be a little nasty for sure. Uh, Dave Aranda in his second year there installing his, installing his defense. Jalen Petrie is a, is a really good player. Uh, I know they have a they have a, a transfer defensive lineman in from from LSU who is supposed to be a really big uh, impact player for them. So Baylor's probably going to be 
pretty good on defense this year, but you know, outside of Kansas, I, they're probably gonna have the worst offense in the Big Twelve. So I just actually, I mean, outside of gosh, I, there's really not a lot of explosive offenses in the Big Twelve this year. You know, I. Uh, I know Iowa State has a lot of guys coming back, but explosive is certainly not the word I would use to describe Iowa State on offense. Um, other, I mean, it's Texas. Texas is the only other team that I think you would really worry about being super explosive unless unless uh, Oklahoma State has a few wide receivers that we don't know about that are awesome, which honestly it kind of seems like they always do. So. Yeah, they always do. Maybe. I'd say TCU is probably the second most explosive team now that I think about it because Duggan can take it to the house running. Uh, Quentin Johnston showed in the last few games last year that he can moss people and and be an explosive player uh, and then zach evans had a pretty good you know last few games of the season last year too um uh just yeah it's it's crazy the big 12 is a defensive league now <laughs> i don't know how that happened but it did <laughs> all right let's go to the next category on the big season preview as we roll right along all right let's let's kind of let's be a little negative for a second uh, let's look into the future. What is the worst case scenario for Oklahoma football this year? I mean, like, like we end up the season's over, the college football playoff is done, and we're just like, God, that that was the worst season that we could have ever imagined. What does that entail? Uh, go ahead, Grant. Well, I kind of wanted to keep this realistic um, because right, I mean, it's it's really unlikely we're gonna see like an eight and four 2014 like debacle. I, I think there's too many NFL players on this team unless unless they're just absolutely destroyed with injuries. I I just I think that's really unlikely. So here's here's what I'll say, Lee. I think it would be the worst case scenario for OU if that it is apparent that OU has not made the quote unquote jump that we're expecting from them. So like what is you know what does that jump look like? And I said it's Clemson in the ACC is what that jump looks like. Um, if OU is still struggling with K State on the road, still giving up chunk plays to average offenses, uh, the offense can't put teams away in the second half. Struggling with that again, that's what that would look like. Um, and so I basically what I'm saying is worst case scenario is if this team looks like 2019 OU. Hmm. Okay. No. I, Essentially. Yeah, no. That's. That is realistic, and, and you're right, because our standard for them is so high right now, and that's what we are waiting for. We're waiting for this team to take that quote-unquote next step that I'm sure Lincoln Riley is just so tired of getting asked about and all the players are. They're just like, come on. like we got to go do it. we got to go show it. And, and you're right. Uh, I, I think worst-case scenario record-wise is something like 9-3, and three, uh, which, would, which would be an abject disaster. Um, but I, I, I went to more of you know, injury, you know, running back, again, the running backs. I think running back injuries would be – really bad and you, you get like Trey Bradford and some walk-ons getting carries because Kennedy Brooks and, and Eric Gray can't play for an extended period of time like that and you got Jeremiah Hall probably coming in there and then if, if I'm the coach Billy Bowman taking carries uh, so there's that and, and and it would lead to Oklahoma's offense likely being one-dimensional can't run the ball and Spencer Rattler's just dropping back and passing you know 80 percent of the time or whatever and and he can't he can't beat teams being one-dimensional. Maybe he's not good enough to do that. Maybe the receivers aren't separating. Uh, you mentioned how if they get to the playoff scenario, like they're going to have to be able to do that. But I'm talking regular season. They're one-dimensional, and they, just, they can't figure it out. Then obviously that means he's not going to be able to figure it out in high-leverage situations. I, I don't think a Rattler injury 
is the worst case scenario because Caleb Williams could potentially save Oklahoma season in a certain way. I mean, it's not unprecedented that a highly touted blue chip five-star backup freshman quarterback can come in and help a team. I mean, the, the recent examples obviously are Trevor Lawrence and, and Tua and, and Trevor Lawrence did it for a lot longer than Tua did. And they both ended up winning national championships. So like, obviously Spencer Rattler being healthy is that's what Oklahoma needs. It's not a killer, though, because this is the first time since, what, 2017 Oklahoma's had a legitimate blue-chip, five-star type difference-making quarterback as a backup because, obviously, it was Baker Mayfield, and then behind him was Kyler Murray. Uh, fortunately, they didn't have to use Kyler Murray that year. I mean, I think they're, if, if Rattler were to be hurt for an extended period of time and like miss the season, I think that would get rid of their national title hopes. Um, but can they still win the Big Big 12 with Caleb Williams? Oh, yeah. I don't know, man. Sure. I I've been hearing a lot of really good things about Caleb Williams in fall camp. He hadn't taken a snap in real college football. I'm not, but I feel real good about Caleb Williams. Um, I, I like, I'm pretty confident that if he had to he had, he had to start a few games that Lincoln Riley would be able to come up with ways to make him pretty lethal. I'm, um, I'm pretty confident in that as well. And, and that's why, that's why I referenced Trevor Lawrence and, and Tua, because I think Caleb Williams could be kind of on those guys level of, at, at this stage in their career as far as they're brand new they've never played college football before but they're highly touted we saw him in the spring game he looked pretty darn good and he's been getting rave reviews in, in fall camp if he had to step in and Spencer Rattler missed a lot of time and let's say that was the one thing that was wrong with Oklahoma like god forbid Spencer Rattler is out for two months but everything else is kind of the same with OU I don't think it's crazy at all to, to think that Caleb Williams can step right in and find a way to to lead this offense and make it really good still and still keep a national championship type outlook if need be. Sure. Sure. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. Well, getting, getting pretty far ahead of ourselves there. I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel good about Kayla Williams. This, this is clearly the best, you know, they, the best they've been at the backup quarterback position since 2017 when they literally had two Heisman trophy yeah. winners in the same room. That is so cool. <laughs> I think didn't Bama just basically, Oh no, I guess Mac Jones didn't win the Heisman. Never mind. Tua didn't win no Heisman. Sit down. <laughs> That's what uh, happens when you're awful just, against Georgia in the SEC title game. First-round uh, first draft picks, though. That's that. That's when your team almost loses, and you're literally the only reason why they almost lost. Okay. Uh, you want to go to best-case scenario now? Yeah, hey, let's get all happy. This one's way more yeah, fun. Let's, let's get the crimson and cream-colored glasses out here, Grant. Best-case scenario. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so... I've run, an, I've run over a ton of scenarios in my head, and I always try to ask myself, all right, am I, am I just being a crazy fan, or is this, is this semi-realistic? And so here's some of the stuff that I've, that I've gone up, stuff that could happen this season that I think would elevate OU that I think is realistic. Jaden Hazelwood is healthy and as advertised. I think that's realistic. Mike Woods is a big play slash physical threat. I think that's realistic. Anton Harrison is the next great left tackle at OU. I think that's realistic. Uh, Spencer Rattler makes the jump with his processing speed, and he, he kind of he works on those easy throws that he struggled with last year. I think that's extremely realistic. Eric Gray is the most explosive running back they've had since Joe Mixon. I think that is true. I think he is, probably. Um, Nick Benito continues his great season from last year, takes another step. It's pretty realistic. Uh Winfrey and the rest of the defensive line follow Benito, take the next step. Pretty realistic in my mind. Uh, it can kind of just go on and on and on. 
Um, the defensive backs become big play machines, picking off passes, forcing turnovers. Um, I think all of all of these coming to fruition is is probably unrealistic, but a good chunk of them will. Um, and so, what's OU's best case scenario? Of course, I mean it's it's to win all their games and 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 to win number eight. What I like to do, I like to to kind of like, I like to compare that to past seasons, different teams. What would what do I think like? What's a team that I could compare uh, to what OU's best case scenario would be this year? And I said 2013 Florida State, um, I think is what is would be like the best case scenario. So Florida State came into that season. They were number seven in the country, I think. Had a ton of NFL guys, ton of NFL guys. And everyone was saying, oh, gosh, they could just figure out the quarterback position. They could be really good. And of course, Jameis Woodson was, was a freshman quarterback. Um, and... That season, everything just sort of came together. Now, remember, that was the core of the team. That The core of that 2013 Florida State team lost to OU in 2011 at home when Landry Jones and Kenny Stills and everything. They cut their teeth. They went through a lot of hard times, went through a lot of tough games. 2013 came. They had a very favorable schedule, and they just destroyed everybody. Hmm. Killed everyone. Um, and just overwhelmed teams with their talent and their athleticism. And it did. It, and if anyone was following Florida State football at that part of the decade, that was a surprise. They hadn't looked like that since the 90s. Um, and it was, it was a surprise. And so I think that would be similar. I think, that, I think the reaction to Florida State that, that season from the media would be, would be similar if OU this season started Clemsoning people. Like if, if they if they ran through the Big Twelve like like Clemson runs through the ACC, I think people would 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 react very similarly to how they did 2013 Florida State, and that team was great. That was a great team. Oh, interesting. A very good team. Oh, good on you. I like that analogy. I'll try to fill it. Hey, and I will say, mm-hmm. the last time I made a comparison like this, ooh, where's this going? Was before the 2017 season. When I said the best case scenario that I envision for OU this year is a lot like 2014 Oregon, they're the team that lost in the national title game to Ohio State, um, and that season actually went almost exactly right. Oregon lost to a weird Arizona team at home in the early part of the season, and then lo- didn't lose again until the national title. So, I have, I have, I, I kind of have some good, so you're uh, one some for good one. vibes. You're one for one. You're like going that. for two for two. Yeah. Going for it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I'll try to fill in some of the blanks because I agree with pretty much everything you said as far as best case scenario. You mentioned Rattler, I, it, making that leap. It, it's just I've said it before, going from you know high level college quarterback to slam dunk first quarterback taken in the, in the NFL draft, potential number one draft pick type Spencer Rattler. That's that's what we're looking for this season from this guy. The running back room stays healthy. You mentioned Oklahoma's offensive line. You mentioned Jaden Hazelwood. I'll throw in Theo Weiss playing like a bona fide five-star wide receiver. Uh, he, he, heck, he could have been that bona fide five-star without all the drops last year as far as stats-wise. So it, it's possible. They both feel great coming into the year. I'm not sure if you mentioned Stogner and Willis, those guys staying healthy, creating a, a dynamic, deadly, tight-end combination where Oklahoma can just do whatever it wants in 12 personnel or 22 personnel where they, if they want to bowl you, they can. Uh, the, you mentioned the defensive line, the defense. Yeah, all the guys that were good last season kind of make that jump. They're better this year. And then all these true freshmen are as good as advertised. And yes, of course, undefeated regular season is absolutely in the cards. Uh, and then from there, you know, got the Big 12 title, playoff win. 
and, and national championship. It, it's all best case scenario, and, and we all know that. But it's also, more importantly, completely within reach, and it's not a pipe dream for this Oklahoma football team. And the last OU team category we have is predicting Oklahoma's final regular season record. And then after that, we'll get into some Big 12 predictions. So I'll go first here. Uh, now, you know, you go to Las Vegas, you look at Oklahoma's win total for 2021. They've nailed it. It's at 11 right now. And this is just for the regular season, so 12 games. Uh, the Sooners have yet to have an unbeaten regular season with Lincoln Riley as a head coach. And they've only lost more than one regular season game one time, and that was last year. So based on history, I'll, I'll just I'll go chalk. I'll predict Oklahoma goes 11-1 and one in the regular season because I don't have the cojones to go out on a limb and predict something that hasn't happened yet under Lincoln Riley, which would be an undefeated regular season. I don't know which game they lose. I'd say most likely it's Texas or Iowa State. I, at this time, I wouldn't predict they lose those games, but heck, it could be a surprising game. Like, what about TCU? What if TCU beats them? I don't know. Uh, TCU could be a, a team better than we think. So it, until Riley and his, his team show me that they can run the table in the regular season, like I said, I'm not going to predict that. I hope I'm wrong because, like, you know, like you've said before, Grant, and you kind of hit it on a little bit ago, if Oklahoma truly believes that they're a team that can win a national championship and, and they're at that level, then Oklahoma needs to go through this schedule, this Big 12 schedule, this, this regular season schedule, and leave very little doubt that they are a dominant team heading into that Big 12 title game, and they, they need and should win all these games if, if they want to be that type of team. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, let's roll to 12-0. Let's do it. Might as well, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, I mean, you say it hasn't happened since Lincoln Riley. I mean, it hasn't happened since 2004. I mean, it's been 17 years since they've had a, you know, an undefeated regular season. Um, and so, but there, there is some logic to this, you know. I mean, it's every time OU has lost in the Big 12 since 2015, it's been a huge upset. So against Texas in 2015, that was a four and eight Texas team. Lost to Iowa State at home in 2017. I, you know, Texas in 2018, you can nitpick, but OU was clearly a better team. Um, and then, of course, Kansas State in 19, and we don't have to talk about last year because everyone knows what happened last year. Um, I don't, those were all games that OU should not have lost, that they clearly had the better players on the team. They were the better team in all of those games. If they would have played them again, they would have won those games. This OU team has less holes than any of those teams and significantly more talent up and down the roster. Like, like what you just said. If this is a team that fancies themselves to have multiple draft picks like at a, at a bunch of different position groups, if that is the case, it's not acceptable for this team not to go through the conference unbeaten. Um, that, that's no, why we regular keep season this. unbeaten. The big, right. The regular season, yeah. yes, yes. Um, the, Big 12, I, the Big 12 is a tough conference schematically and, and in terms of you know, what, they, what, what, you, what they put you through week in and week out. OU is just going to be so much better athletically than everyone they play, save Texas, and you know that hasn't mattered in a long time. Um, and it's 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 finally time for that to matter. They they need to stop screwing around and do this thing. Um, it's time. Yeah. It, it's time. And this schedule, uh, I mean, this schedule sets up so well. For, but I mean, I think in previous years I've gone through this and thought, oh yeah, obvious one right there, and then maybe another obvious one. I mean, the way this schedule sets up, I mean they. 
if they're as good as we think they are, they they run the table. They run the table here. And 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 I I think the the cool thing is is I think we're gonna know we're gonna know if this team's gonna go undefeated by the Texas game. I think. Um, I, I really think we're gonna know that. Um, like if they if 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 in their first few Big Twelve games, if they are just so clearly head and shoulders above West Virginia, Kansas State, and Texas, it's 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 gonna be pretty easy to see how this thing's gonna go. Um, I mean, you know, injuries notwithstanding. Uh, but this is it. I mean, this is this is the most talent they've had on the team since 2008, and that was that was an immensely talented team. Uh, like I said, that's that that's the best OU team of the last 20 years. That 2008 team. Um, if this team is is anywhere near that 2008 team, then yeah, there no one in the Big 12 will challenge them at all. Well, speaking of the Big 12, let's shift gears to conference predictions. So our OU uh, specific predictions are done. Now we have Big 12 and then national college football to go. And if you're still listening right now, you love this podcast. We appreciate it. This is going to probably be our longest podcast ever. We're definitely going to go over two hours, probably two and a half. And we've heard from people. Some people like the long podcasts. Like we're not going to break it up into two. I listen to long podcasts. Here's the thing. If you're still listening, you know that we put the notes in there. You can fast forward to certain parts, certain topics. So it makes it easy for you to listen. All right, Big 12, Grant. Which Big 12 team do you think will be better than expected this year? So basically like an underrated team right now in the Big 12 based off of either what you're hearing from the media, what the preseason poll says. Uh, I think I went first last category, so I'll let you start this Yeah, um, this is one where I've been reading previews and stuff just from this week because a lot of the you know, previews from from different like ESPN and The Athletic have been dropping. Uh, it kind of seems like public opinion has started to come around on TCU, um, and so maybe this is not really a better than expected uh, thing. But you know, I've I've read especially today that they're 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 they were picked as the sleeper in the Big Twelve in like every single preview that I that I read. Um, so maybe I was I was ahead of the media there, maybe not. I don't know. But um, my my logic essentially is we know that TCU's defense is going to be good to very good. That's something I think we can just price in right there. Um, we know that because that's always the case. Like they've they've never had a bad defense since they've been in the Big Twelve. Um, and really, what I'm doing is I'm betting that Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, and Zach Evans are going to produce enough explosiveness to su- you know to support the defense. Um, and I think that is going to be what you're looking for this year in the Big Twelve. I think I think there's a decent number of teams that are going to be pretty pretty solid on defense, but I have a lot of questions of whether or not you know where those chunk plays are going to come from. Um, I think on paper TCU probably has more answers than a vast majority of the teams in the conference, save Oklahoma, um, because they have Quentin Johnson. They still have the transfer from Nebraska, uh, JD JD Spielman, uh, who who was hurt a, a lot last year and didn't play. I will say this about TCU: they do have a tough road schedule. Um, they're at OU, at Kansas State, at Oklahoma State, and at Iowa State this year. Um, I'm trying not to look at schedule too much with this because I, I feel like once once something weird happens and like you go in and you win a game you're not supposed to win or you lose a game you're you're not supposed to lose everything goes out the window and who cares about the schedule anymore it's still one week it's it's one week at a time um and so it's it, it's tcu I, I i think tcu going into this season is i'm not going to say i think they're the clear number two team in the conference because that's not true uh, but I, 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 to me, they're the number two team in the conference that that's going to challenge OU just because 
outside of OU, I think they have the most speed and athleticism in the conference that we know of right now. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad pick. They were picked to finish fifth in the Big 12 by the media. Uh, I But, uh, I mean, their, their win total, Vegas right now, Grant, only seven. They're, they're not expected to, to be very good this year. I mean, I mean they go 8-4, and four and they've exceeded expectations. Their, their schedule's not easy. Uh, they play in the non-conference. They play Cal, which, I, I mean, I know they're not particularly good. Uh, and they play SMU, and SMU is not bad. SMU is, has, has done really well since Sonny Dykes has gotten there. So. And underrated could be an issue for this team. A super early bye week. September 18th is their bye week, and then they play 10 straight games. I mean, I, if, if health's not a problem, that's not going to be an issue, but that's an early bye week, man. I mean, they, if they get beat, beaten up and there's injuries, that's, that's a grind. So I, I, I get it with TCU. I understand your reasoning. I'm not going to go TCU, though, as the team that I think is a little underrated right now is better than expected. I'm going to go Kansas State. Uh, they were picked to finish seventh in the Big 12 by the media. Uh, K-State's win total right now, five and a half. It's six and six. They've exceeded expectations, to, at least as far as like Las Vegas is concerned. I, I will take that, man. I mean, they got Skylar Thompson back at quarterback. I know he's been there forever, but at least they have experience there at that position. They returned their entire offensive line. Malik Knowles and Sebastian Taylor, those two receivers, they are back. And obviously you throw in Deuce Vaughn, who you know, he had a great season last year. Uh, the defense is where, you know, it's like what's going to happen with the defense? Uh in theory, the secondary should be okay. Uh, they have Jerron McPherson back, probably their best player on defense. And they have a couple of good corners as well. I know they got a guy that transferred in from Iowa that's supposed to be okay. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I do feel good about Chris Kleiman. He's a defensive guy. That's his thing. It's year two for his defensive coordinator, Joe Klanderman, uh, after my guy Scotty Hazleton left him high and dry to go to Michigan State. I, I, I'm, sure they, I'm sure he left on good terms. I just... Uh, man, that's not, I don't, going to Michigan State, that's, what a dumpster fire that's going right now with Mel Tucker and yikes. Uh, but I, I'm a big Scotty Hazleton guy. But you got Joe Klanderman there as well. His second year, no, you know, you hope that they're kind of more, you know, in tune with the defense. So, I mean, getting to six and six, looking at their schedule, it's definitely doable. I think they can get to seven and five. So I'm going to go K-State kind of as my my team that's going to be a little better than expected. And my, my also, like, the other team, I mean, TCU, I think, again, I'm kind of with you there. Oklahoma State, though. I think Oklahoma State's kind of flying under the radar, even though they were picked to finish fourth. Oklahoma State might be better than a lot of people think. Yeah. TCU, uh, K-State, and Oklahoma State were the uh, the three teams that I sort of pondered there. Uh, and I came, I came away thinking TCU just has... I, I, I like Quentin Johnson and, J, and you know, J.D. Spielman and, and Zach Evans. I... Even though, I mean, Kansas State brings back pretty much their entire offense. I know Malik Knowles is back, too, and Deuce Vaughn is... I hate Deuce Vaughn, but he's, he's, he's really good. He's, he's really good. So, um, all right, you want to move on to the next one? Let's flip the script. Who's overrated, man? Who's the overrated team in the Big you 12? Need to start? All right. Um, I, 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 you know, I teased this last week. The Iowa State hype has gotten totally out of control. Completely out of control. Like, I, I wish we could be honest about Iowa State. They're a disciplined team that thrived in an odd season last year. Um, you know, they, they played a decent amount of close games last year that broke their way. Uh, just think of all the stuff that needed to go right for them to beat OU the first time in Ames. Like, a ton of stuff had to go right for them. Um, and then, I mean, they went into Stillwater, and Oklahoma State downright was just a better team than Iowa State. 
in that game. Um, physically, everything. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they're a disciplined team that makes very few mistakes, but we know they can absolutely be overwhelmed athletically, especially in the trenches. And I know Will McDonald's a good player. There's not anyone on that offensive line who can block anyone on that Oklahoma defensive line. And so, um, and I know that, you know, that's not everyone in the conference has the Oklahoma defensive line, but you know, I, I digress. So, Hey, I'll, I've I have no problem giving daps to Brees Hall. The guy's really good. He he absolutely deserves to be unanimous All American in the preseason this year. Um, you know, I just, Mike Rose and Will McDonald are good players. They are. Those aren't first round guys. Those are mid round guys. You know, Ronnie Perkins was a was a late third rounder. Mike Rose and Will McDonald are not are not better are not better than that. Um, you know, and then we go to Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy is like. Brock Purdy is very slippery. This is very clearly his best skill set. Other than that, he is a horrendous decision maker and has been his entire career. He was an upperclassman last year. That's who he is. He's just not a good decision maker. Um, so we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about Iowa State in week two when they play Iowa. We're going to learn a lot about them. I you know I think there's a much better chance that Iowa State goes seven and five this year than they than they win ten games like a much better chance. All right, so you got your uh, your Iowa State hate off your chest. So my team, and I, I have some Iowa State thoughts as well, but they're not my overrated team. And to me, this was kind of an easy answer. It's Texas. I mean, they're picked to finish third in the Big Twelve. They open up at number twenty one in the AP poll. They're ranked at number 21. Their win total, according to Vegas, is seven and a half. That means Vegas says that eight and four is, a, is an overachieving season for Texas. They got a new coach, new quarterback, and, and both of those could actually end up being net positives, and, and they probably are. Uh, they have new defensive coordinator, Pete Kwiatkowski, comes in from Washington. You got Pac-12, the Big 12. I'm kind of interested to see how that works out. Uh, and so there's a lot of unknown for Texas. It's exciting if you're a Texas fan, though. They got to be excited because it, this is, I think there's a lot of exciting unknownness. That's not even a word, probably. Uh, but I think by the book, like, you know, you, you're like, oh, what's the book say here in Blackjack? I think by the book, though, with their win total and like where they're ranked and like where they're thought to be in the, in the Big 12, I think they're overrated. And as much as I, as I hate to admit this, as much as I hate to admit, Iowa State's also probably overrated as well. They're in the preseason top 10. Their over-under total is nine and a half wins. Matt Campbell's never won nine games in a regular season in Ames, let alone 10, let alone to go over. Uh, 2020 season ago, that was his best year. They were eight and two in the 10-game regular season. So, I mean, they were on pace to be at nine or 10 wins, you know, if it was a, a regular 12-game schedule, but, the, you know, the weird COVID schedule got them. So I'm sure that kind of factors into their, their win total. But if we're going by history... Iowa State, even under Matt Campbell, at best, they're an 8-4 and four team in the regular season. And I agree. We're going to learn a lot about Iowa State, not just against Iowa, but we're going to learn a lot about them against Northern Iowa in their first game. And I'll say the same thing about Texas. We're going to learn a lot about Texas in its first two games. They got home against Louisiana, who's ranked in the top 25, and then they're at Arkansas. So, we're gonna, again, we're going to learn a lot about these two teams that you and I are saying are overrated right away and i that's exciting to me that, that's cool i like that yeah i mean this is kind of part of my calculus too with tcu and oklahoma state all there i mean 
I think Iowa State's going to lose to Iowa in week two. And I think Texas is probably going to lose to Arkansas in week two. So, I mean, we're going to, it's, I, I think kind of lines are going to be drawn there. If Iowa comes into Ames with a top 10 defense in the country, that offense, that Iowa State offense will struggle to move the ball. Um, they're just not explosive enough. They just aren't. Um, so, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely kind of sticking my neck out there saying that Iowa State is, Iowa State is, is Iowa State, man. Their be- it was their best season in program history last year. They went 9-3. and three, And they beat an Oregon team that, that didn't actually even qualify for their own conference championship game. Didn't they? I, you know, it's... They went... Uh, well, oh, yeah, that's right. They lost the Big 12 title game. That's right. Who'd they lose to in the, the regular... Se- oh, yeah, they lost to Louisiana to start the year. That was a we- they lost to Louisiana and Oklahoma State. And that's the thing, man. With- I, like, I mean, decisively and, and, in both of those games. Well, and and that's, that's, that's been <laughs> Iowa State's thing. I've talked about it before. They have these weird slow starts, man. I mean, last year they lose Louisiana, week one. Twenty nineteen, week one, they go to three overtimes against Northern Iowa. Week two, they lose to Iowa, and then in week four they lost to Baylor. So they started the season. They ended up starting the year two and two. In twenty eighteen, week one, lost to Iowa. Week two, lose to OU. Week four, lost to TCU. They started one and three. Uh, in twenty seventeen, they started the season with a loss to Iowa. That was the year they beat OU. And, and then 2016, Matt Campbell's first year, they started 0-3, and they were absolutely embarrassed by Iowa. They, they always start really slow. So more so than Texas, we're going to learn a lot about Iowa in the first two games, man, because they, they always start slow. If they can actually start fast and win some of these games, maybe something's different. Also, I've, just, I've, I've seen this movie a million times in college football. A, a, a veteran team returns all of their players from kind of like a really magical, great season. Not not the most talented team in the entire world, and they got all their players back, and they're hyped up. They're the number seven team in the preseason. I, it's just it's very easy to envision that all crashing down. Uh, I, they're just they, where's where are their where are the NFL guys that are going to take it to the house. And I know Brees Hall is really good, but I mean, Xavier Hutchinson's not that guy. At least he hasn't been yet. Charlie Kohler is definitely not that guy. Yeah, I mean, we'll I'm, I'm not anywhere near as down on Iowa State as you, but I, I do think it's fair to say that they, especially starting the year in the top 10, they're probably overrated. All right, so who's... Yeah, there's like, there is no way that Iowa State is one of the 10 best college football teams in the country, period. There's just no way. And they weren't last year either. All right. Final Big 12 topic, who's in the Big 12 championship game? And I'm going to go chalk, even though we just talked about Iowa State that much. I'm going to go OU versus Iowa State. Uh, I like Iowa State a lot more than you. I don't think the Big 12 has I, – I, I think, I, honestly, aside from Iowa State, the dark horse I'd pick in the Big 12 title game against OU would be Oklahoma State. That's my – but I'm going to go OU-Iowa State in the Big 12 title game. What about you? Um, OU versus TCU. It's going to be a rematch of the 2017 game. Um, yeah, I think I think the Big 12 this year is going to be ruled by defense. Uh, if, if you remember last year uh, during our, our analysis, we we were talking about, gosh, like man, a lot of these Big 12 defenses are like ranked pretty high, like in the nation, like yards per play and everything. Big 12, but then we'd be like, ah, but they haven't played Oklahoma yet, and that's always like that's kind of always the yeah, but. Um, I think that's going to be pretty similar this year in, in the Big 12. But uh, same with you. Oklahoma State uh, was my other consideration. Um, I just, th- I mean, if you're actually going by track record, uh, especially throughout the 2010s, that suggests that Oklahoma State is going to be right there competing for it. Um, I think it's silly to think otherwise. This is 
OSU clearly has the more favorable schedule, I think, as well over TCU. Um, but yeah, I, I, I decided on TCU just because I'm going with the team. I think that has more answers for, for the questions that they have on offense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see Bedlam two weeks in a row in November and December. Man, Mike Gundy, he just has a... He has a quiet confidence about this team. He just seems so happy and positive about his roster right now. I've been to the last couple of availabilities when he's talked. He, I don't know. He, I've been covering Oklahoma State. I mean, not nearly as closely as Oklahoma since I've been at News 9 in Oklahoma City. But I don't remember the last time Mike Gundy. I don't know. I, obviously, last year there was lots of expectations, but also it was weird with the COVID stuff. And then they had the stuff with Chuba Hubbard in the summer that was kind of hanging over their head. It was just kind of awkward and weird. And they had these high expectations, and then everything kind of came crashing down on them. There's not a whole lot of expectations right now in Stillwater, but Mike Gundy's roster is pretty good, believe it or not. Their defense can be really good, and even though they've lost Chuba Hubbard, that running back room might is probably better right now because there's a lot more depth, and there's a lot more guys to give the ball you're to. You're going off of last year. Going off of last year, it's just it's not really a loss. They, he was he was banged <laughs> up Chuba all Hubbard year, was man. a net. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, he was neutral last year for them, like best-case scenario. And I mean, Tylen Wallace is obviously great. He was kind of banged up a little bit last year, but Brennan Presley is probably going to be that, I'd say, random Oklahoma State receiver that's really good, but he's not so random. I mean, he busted out in the bowl game last season, and they had some other young freshman players that they think can step up, plus Tay Martin, who's a Washington State transfer, is further along now. So uh, Oklahoma State is a team that, you know, candidly, I know more about than a lot of other Big 12 teams because it's part of my job, but I, I do think there's a little bit of smoke there. I mean, they, they could be a little bit better than people think. All right, let's go to the national scene here. We've gone through the Big 12. We've gone through OU. Let's get to the national. Kind of similar topics here, but some more topics than, uh, than the Big 12. I like this overrated, underrated stuff because it gets us talking about certain teams that we like and don't like. And so for national topics, we'll start ar- around college football, Grant. Who is an overrated team that you can pinpoint? And it doesn't have to be just one. Maybe if you have multiple, you know, it, it's it's a it's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, I have a uh, I got a multiple part answer here. Um, this is a little different because really the only thing you have to go off, you know, is last season. And this is sort of a unique year where like everybody is back from the teams except for the three mass, except for Ohio State, Clemson, and Bama, pretty much everyone is back and on like on or everyone has a lot of returning production except for those three teams. Um, so I, Iowa State is clearly the most overrated team in the country. Um, so I you know I already talked about them, but uh, going from there, you know I do I think Texas A and M has any realistic threat to win a championship? Like obviously not, <laughs> um, but they. They have about as easy of an SEC schedule as you possibly can have. Them and Georgia do this season. Um, they they don't play a true road game until October sixteenth. Texas A and M doesn't. How many games? Uh, how many games is that? Uh, I believe they play. I think that's their first six games. Five of them are at home. Yeah. One is a neutral site. Um. They, they're Texas A and M. They have a two game season. They play Alabama on October 9th and they're at LSU on uh, the last week of the season. So I mean, so naturally they're probably going to lose to Arkansas and Ole Miss. Um, like I mean, they they're they're going to lose to one of those teams. Every Texas A and M fan knows it too. That's the funny part. Um, okay, another one. Uh, Notre Dame. They're in the top ten. They're not going to be in the top ten at the end of the year. They have a pretty tough schedule. Um, 
course, there's no way that Cincinnati is actually a top 10 team. Um, but it's okay. I mean, if you want to, they were a good team last year. If you want to kind of just toss them in there as a preseason, that's fine. Going up and down the top 25, I think Texas being in there is probably not correct. Um, Indiana being, Indiana is just, I, I know they had a really good season last year, but Indiana is one of those programs where they're going to have to do it three or four straight years before I, I'm, I'm willing to, to admit that they're a top 20 team in the country that people should be scared of. Um, it's, it, it's kind of tough this year because I think you would typically look at teams like Ohio state and Bama and Clemson who, who lose, who lose a lot of production from last season and say, oh, they're super high and they're, they should be overrated, but they have the track record and we know that they're right where they belong. Um, so this is one of those seasons, like, I don't know. I, I thought about just saying Miami here just in case Miami is always overrated. Um, but also I, I really like Derek King. Um, and of course, I mean, Charleston Rambo is probably gonna have 1500 yards and 20 <laughs> touchdowns this year. Okay. okay. So, okay. um, but no, I, the, the overrated teams, I like, it's, it's so, it's so clearly Iowa state is, is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, which I already, I already covered. So it's kind of hard to go further than that. All right. Yeah. You named all the teams that I, I think as well. Uh, but the main one for me is Texas A&M. I, I think A&M is more overrated than Iowa state. Uh, it, it, I apologize to all my friends in College Station who listen to West of Everest, which I'm sure uh, uh, of which there are many, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but OK, so they're number six right now in the AP poll. This is the highest A&M has been ranked in the preseason poll since 1995. And I get that Iowa State. This is probably the, the highest up they've ever been. So I guess it, it kind of falls in the same category. But I mean, man, 95. And it's all depending on quarterback play in college station i mean who's going to be is he going to be haynes king or zach calzada and whoever the guy is going to be is he's going to be better is he going to be worse is he going to be the same as kellen mond i don't know i mean it's and it's not going to be easy forever it is i mean they lose three stars on the offensive line and that was a more award finalist offensive line last year uh they got isaiah spiller back good running back that's great uh they have their top three pass catchers returning so that's good and the defense. The defense is what's supposed to be really good. I mean, the defense could potentially be a top 10, top 15 type unit. And you look at that schedule and you kind of see why. So the thing, it comes down to quarterback. If the quarterback's a big problem, or I should say if the quarterback is not a problem, then, then yeah, they'll be fine. They'll, they'll win their, you know, they'll win their games and, you know, whatever. Because the defense is going to kind of carry them. But if, if the quarterback is a problem, and, and I think it's going to be a problem, just kind of just my gut then I think they're really overrated because it's not like they're I mean they're so high the highest they've ever been and they don't have a returning quarterback which has kind of been the theme of a lot of these teams like if you have a returning back quarterback like Brock Purdy like Spencer Rattler like Sam Howell you're pretty highly ranked to go along with the rest of your team well A&M's got that great defense and they got a lot of talent but they don't have the quarterback but hey maybe I have no idea what I'm talking about maybe these guys that Jimbo Fisher brought in are actually pretty good and that's where you have to wait to find out the other yeah go ahead i as i say i will point out trying to think there's there's been quite a bit of teams that have won the national title this decade that had a had a new quarterback that year um like they i mean Jameis winston was a new starter um (laughs) the ohio state won with cardale jones he was a new starter literally just into the playoff so yeah maybe these guys are actually better than kellen mond and and i'm just totally off base and it's it's a huge upgrade i don't know i mean because you you and i were not the biggest kellen mond guys in to begin with he's no he's he, he was not a he's not a particularly good college player um i like i can 
He's he's a guy that I can understand what people see in him. He was not a very effective player in college. Whether or not that was his coaching staff's fault or whether or not that's that's, you know, a personal shortcoming, I don't know. But that guy was not no one was scared of Kellen Mond. Not a single defense was scared of Kellen Mond. <laughs> Uh, so my other honorable mention ones, though, uh, same as you, Notre Dame at number nine. I mean, Ian Book's gone. Jack, is it Cone? Jack Cone's in there from Wisconsin. Jack Cone from Wisconsin. But yeah. like almost like all their offensive linemen are in the NFL now. They got a new defensive coordinator coming over from Cincinnati. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's great. But aside from safety Kyle Hamilton, I don't know if they have really any big names back there on defense. So yeah, Notre Dame I think is overrated, and then also I threw Indiana in there as well at number seventeen. They I, last year might have been a little lucky for Indiana, but we all we all love their head coach. Oh yeah, though. they. I know uh, I know I know SP Plus didn't like them last year. I know they had they had some pretty ridiculous uh, win probabilities in some of their games that they that they pulled out. Like I know in week one when they played Penn State, like their win probability was like one percent. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean they they had a. They had a really magical season. Unfortunately, it was in front of nobody in the stands. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Uh, let's flip it over. Who is uh, underrated to you throughout the college football landscape? Uh, I guess I'll start with this one since you went with the first one. And, and I look at the top 25, and I see at the very bottom of it, Arizona State at 25. Arizona State's probably underrated, but and, and there's a reason why. It, it's because there's so many unknowns about the coaching staff, this NCAA investigation for recruiting violations. They've already put three assistant coaches on paid leave. So the question is like, all right, is this going to go into the season? And could there potentially be coaches that get suspended or have to leave? So I think that's probably why they're so far down. But if you're just talking on the field, I mean, this team returns everybody on defense. They got a returning quarterback and Jaden Daniels, who it was a shortened season last year, but he was pretty good. Uh, I know the recruiting has been really good for Herm Edwards. Uh, has it been legal recruiting? <laughs> I, I uh, that. I guess maybe it doesn't matter if they play the whole year, but I, I'd say Arizona State probably should be higher than 25. And then I got uh, I, I got one more for you, and it's actually in the same conference at and right next to them in the standings. Utah at 24, I think Utah could be underrated. They got Charlie Brewer coming in at quarterback. Uh, what kind of Brewer are we going to get? I don't know. Are we going to get a really solid game manager to above average Charlie Brewer, or are we going to get scared and concussed Charlie Brewer? That's the big question mark. By the way, TJ Pledger is there. You all may remember. Also, Theo Howard's there as well. <laughs> a one-time OU receiver. So, Theo Howard's there. The offensive line has a lot of guys back. They're deep. It wasn't very good last season, but you'd expect experience and stuff. They they should be better And with, with Brewer as a, as a veteran quarterback. Good. Apparently, Brewer just lit up the spring game. I don't know if we talked about that on this podcast at all. We, we may have. Uh, and, and, the, and the defense is always really good in Utah. They return a ton of starters. Uh, and they face, though, the, the kind of the red flag with, with Utah. Look at their schedule. They got some pretty good offenses on that schedule. So that could be tough. And then uh, not to bring this, this podcast in, into the, the toilet or down, but uh, they, they do have kind of the emotional card going for them in Utah because of Ty Jordan, the running back who unfortunately died in December. So they're going to be playing for him this season. And he was really good. And, 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 so how do you quantify that into their season? I don't know. It's sad. But I think Utah and I think Arizona State right now, I look at the top 25, are kind of underrated teams. What do you think? I'll have more on Utah later when we talk about the Pac-12. Um, it's an Iowa theme for me. I think Iowa is really underrated. Um, 
it's it's it defense carries the day for me with Iowa. Uh, number one defense in SP plus in the preseason coming of the year. Uh, hey, they they do have a tricky schedule, um, but they can get momentum starting week one. They play they they open with Indiana at home, um, and I think that's you know that's a ranked team that I think is probably not one of the twenty five best teams in the country. So Iowa can build momentum going into the next uh, the next week against Iowa State. So last season they lost their first two games. They started zero and two. They lost those games by a combined total of five points. Uh, and then they won seven in a row to close out the season. They won six of those games by double digits. Uh, four of those seven wins you could classify as straight blowouts, um, which Iowa doesn't really blow people out, so that's kind of new for them. Uh, Iowa always has a couple seasons per decade where they win 10 or 11 games. They, they always do. Iowa is one of the more consistent winners in college football. They're just 7-5, and 7-5, and 8-4, 7-5, 8-4, and up oh, 10-2. Up eleven and two, six and six, seven and five, eight and four, eight and four. Uh, that's that's just kind of what they do. Um, they have a lot of guys coming back uh, on defense. I think they have everybody back on their defense, or at least nine or ten guys back. Uh, that's going to be a really and they, they've had they've been really good on defense for the last handful of years. Uh, this is it's and it's it's Ohio. I mean, remember when they beat Ohio State? I mean, they limited them. Um, so this is a team that can play some defense. So. Uh, and I just think in their division, uh, in in the Big Ten West, it's basically just Iowa and Minnesota, or I'm sorry, Wisconsin and Minnesota as 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 their competition there. And I think uh, they have pretty good track record against both of those teams. So there wasn't really any other teams I could really. I, I thought about Arizona State. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I don't really know. There's not a ton of teams that I was looking at. Like, oh gosh, man, people are sleeping on them, and they could they could spring up out of nowhere. Um, I don't know. Did you did you have anybody or did I start? Uh, no, yeah, I, I did start. For wait, sorry, I, I I missed the last thing you just said. For are we on to a different category? Sorry, I, I was reading a story about Iowa. No. <laughs> no, I was asking who your underrated team was, oh, and I said uh, it, Iowa, and then I I also Oklahoma State and TCU. I think are both really underrated too. They should be in the top twenty five. Was I so uh, not memorable when I went through my underrated teams? You already forgot. I said Arizona State and Utah. <laughs> wow, that's how long this podcast is. Oh, gone. that's right. Yeah. Jeez, man! Uh, I just, uh, I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm just not. I, I guess you could be right with Iowa, but I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I, they, uh, their defensive line lost a lot of guys, so they have a lot of, they have, they have put some holes there in the trenches, and they had the one of the best. Um, let's see, they led the Big Ten in fewest yards per play last year. So yeah, I mean, they could reload. They, they could be fine in the trenches. They have a track record on the defensive line. They, you know, they put a lot of defensive linemen in the NFL. Yeah, it's it just, I don't know. I mean, is this quarterback Petrus going to be any good? I mean, they had a they had a great offensive line last year. They had some good receivers. They had a great running back. And their offense last year wasn't very good. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not expecting it to be, very, like, really good. I don't, Iowa's offense is never really good when they win 10 or 11 games. Yeah. All right. And I'm not saying, and I still think, um, I'm not, I'm not even picking them to win the West. Like, I just, I think they're... I think they're underrated. I think they're probably close to a top 10 team, and they were, what, wow. like number 17? Yeah. Uh, yeah, something like that. I think Indiana's 17. Uh, Iowa is... Yeah, they're, they're, they're around there. Iowa's 18, so, right? Yep, you're right. Yes, Iowa's definitely better than Indiana. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. All right, let's go to the biggest individual award in college football, the Heisman Trophy. Let's make this, uh, unless you have some crazy answer, we can make this kind of a quick one. Uh, I, think I, I think I started last category, so 
Are you going to go chalk with the Heisman winner, Grant, or are you going to go outside the box? Well, I guess, I guess, you know, I can't think of any scenario where OU is awesome and Rattler doesn't win the Heisman. Um, I, I mean, I maybe this is just a failure of imagination. Um, this is one that I'm kind of like, this is, I don't think this is very fun anymore. I'm starting to lose a lot of interest in the Heisman. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I, if I, you know, if I can't have Rattler, uh, I think I'll take, uh, DJ Uyunglele. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just, that, that kind of seems that's, yeah, that's the one I, I don't know why people are kind of poo poo and Clemson like, Oh, they lost Trevor Lawrence. Like Uyunglele was really good when he played last year. I don't know why. Yeah. Kind of confusing to me. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm going to go Rattler. Uh, so yeah, it, it kind of gives you an idea of how I'm thinking about Oklahoma. I, I think OU is going to be really good, uh, but I would say aside from Rattler, I'd go with Bryce Young at Bama, just because he sounds like he's supposed to be awesome, and it's Alabama. And but I, I think my third choice would be DJ at Clemson. Uh, I just Sam Howell. I don't see you, North Carolina winning enough games to make him the Heisman winner. And uh, I know some a lot of like. Uh, I've heard a lot of podcasts predicting, like you're trying to find crazy value in the Heisman Trophy. Because obviously, you want like a long shot bet that actually could win. Desmond Ritter is getting a lot of play, and I just I don't know. I guess maybe he played a lot better last year than he has in his career. But I'm just not a Desmond Ritter guy. And they have a somewhat tough schedule, at least in the big, the middle portions, because they play what Notre Dame and uh, I, I'll look it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, they, I just yeah, I don't see that at all. I he's never really stood out to me as yeah he's you know, been anyone other than just an athlete back there um I think um keeping it with OU and I'm not saying this is likely but I think Eric Gray is a decent dark horse um because I I, I really do think he's gonna catch a lot of passes this year um and who knows how that I mean it's it's not going to happen it's a quarterback's gonna win the award but um I think in terms of like guys who could put up kind of like eye-popping stats he might he really might all right, we're almost to the end here. We have, we're going to pick each conference champion, just Power 5 conferences. We're going to pick the playoff teams, which I guess you might kind of get an idea who the playoff is from our conference champions. That's kind of a, a hole in this logic. And then finally, we'll pick the national champion. And uh, if there's anything else that we haven't covered, if there's any storylines that stand out to us that we want to talk about that are annoying or whatever, we'll talk about that as we continue this monster, big season preview podcast. All right, so each conference champion, and you kind of teased this out a little bit earlier. Uh, with Big 12, I think we're both picking Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you're just trying to be different. I, I saw that Bruce Feldman picked Iowa State. Actually, of, on, on the athletic preview, two of the four writers picked Iowa State to win the conference. Okay, well, hopefully they're wrong. We're, uh, I, I agree. Let's, let's go. Uh, okay. Let's go ACC next. Cause this is the next probably super obvious one. We're both going to have Clemson here. I would assume. Correct. Yeah. Did you pick the, uh, did you pick like what the championship game would be? Uh, no, I just picked conference winners, but you can go, go ahead if you want. Oh. I don't even know who's in the conferences. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's gonna be Clemson versus Miami. I think, uh, would be my guess. Uh, Miami's schedule is pretty. It's it's pretty light. It's pretty manageable. I think you know to to either go ten and two or nine and three, uh, which would probably get them in the championship game. Clemson is Clemson's not going to lose in the regular season. Um, really, Clemson's only chance of losing is week one against Georgia. And I know I, I just 
I'm I'm just I'm taking Clemson in that game. I've watched too much college football over the last four or five years to be suckered by Georgia in that game. I'm I'm obviously going to take Clemson. Um, I just like go look at Clemson's schedule after the Georgia game, and I, I like I don't I don't know how a Power Five schedule can get easier than that. <laughs> uh, I really don't know. They don't play a single ranked team. I don't think after Georgia. Like that's except. Because they don't play Miami. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes right now. I don't have any comments on the schedule, which probably means that it's just okay garbage. If you know? um, yeah, if if Clemson is not in their seventh consecutive playoff this year, something went very very wrong for them. Like I mean, I, I don't even want to. They they this is the easiest schedule I've ever seen Clemson have, <laughs> and that's saying something. All right, let's go over to the Big Ten. All right, is uh, I'm gonna go Ohio State. But uh, do you do you have the the cojones to pick somebody other than the Buckeyes coming out of the Big Ten? Yeah, I do. Um, oh boy, I'll, I'll I'll fully admit here that this is I I just want I'm just trying to pick something different here. Um, it's like I I think by far the most likely playoff is is the chalk that we're all talking about, but that's so boring, and it's the it's the preseason, so we may as well have some fun with it. Think of some scenarios that could be realistic. Um, and this is something I've picked before. I've picked Wisconsin to win the Big Ten on this podcast before. Um, and I'm going to do it again. Yeah, how'd that go I'm for do you? It, again. it went really poorly. I think they went like 8-4 <laughs> or whatever. I think I was, yeah, it was 2019. I think I picked them to win. Uh, the Actually, no, they did. They they were in the Big Ten championship game that year. They just lost. Um, so, no, I, I think uh, it's going to be Wisconsin versus versus Ohio State. I think they're both going to be like 11-1 and one going into that game. Um here are you know here's two reasons why okay uh, I'm gonna pick I'm picking this and I think Wisconsin is, is gonna upset Ohio State in, in the Big Ten so I'm, I'm calling my shot already two reasons Wisconsin has the best assistant coach in college football their de- their defensive coordinator Jim Leonard um, I have a lot of faith in him uh, especially going up against potentially an Ohio State team that has a first year starting quarterback which I understand would be in his 13th start at that point in time. Uh, but Jim Leonard is 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 nasty. That guy will throw the kitchen sink at you, um, and so I, I just think, just eventually, when you have you know when you have defenses like that, I think eventually you're going to break through uh, and have some success there against an Ohio State team in the championship game. Uh, number two is just intuition. I just I you you pick you, one of your picks earlier was just on feeling. Um, this one is for me too. I and it. I have a feeling that if OU were to navigate through the college football playoff, it's not going to be against any of the usual faces that we usually see there. Um, and I just, I for whatever reason, OU versus Wisconsin Cotton Bowl just kind of feels like it's going to happen. I, I, I really feel like if OU breaks through and finally gets their first win, it's not going to be against Clemson or an SEC team. Hmm. So That's, it's just It's just a feeling. I noticed that you didn't mention Graham Mertz and the offense because the offense was awful in their shortened season last last year. Yeah, I mean the offense is going to be better. I'm going more with their track record of being good on offense, and and Wisconsin's been excellent on offense the last decade. Uh, they weren't last year, uh, but I, you don't you don't just become that bad all of a sudden. Graham Mertz, I know was he was out. He missed a lot because of COVID. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm assuming that Wisconsin is is going to get back to at least being a above average to good offense. I, I think that's a pretty good bet. History says that it's a good bet. Well, Paul Christ uh, took over 
play calling duties. So uh, I think he had them before last year. So maybe he had seen enough. So maybe that's the key. Maybe the head, head ball coach taking over. Uh, but, yes, I, I do like Jim Leonard as well. The thing with Wisconsin is all the teams they play against can't move the ball. The offenses they see every year are bad, man. Like last season – they faced Illinois. I think that's a bit of a tired. That's 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 the wrong narrative, man. I think the narratives are kind of flipping here. That's. I mean, like I they think faced uh, Illinois. The Big Ten has better offenses than the Big Twelve does this year. Like I mean, I. Here here's the the rankings of the teams they faced last year in yards per play. Illinois, 89th. Michigan was the best offense they faced, 43rd. Northwestern, 110. Indiana, who was like pretty highly ranked, their offense was smoking mirrors, 99th. Iowa, 86th, Minnesota, 62, Wake Forest at 54. And this year, they're not, fa- uh, according to some analytics people, they're not projected to face a top 20 offense all year. And then, obviously, if they play Ohio State, they probably will. So the schedule, yeah, the, the schedule is very good for good defensive numbers. I mean, they, and it's weird because they weren't really that good at Havoc last year. Uh, near the bottom of college football in sacks and TFLs a season ago. But yet, the, the run defense is great, and the pass defense is good, too. Uh, so, it's, it's kind of a weird... It doesn't add up. One thing with, with Wisconsin. I mean, their schedule is really interesting. Uh, three of their first four games are against Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan. Wow, yeah. So, uh, they open against Penn State at home. Yeah, so, I mean, Wisconsin's schedule is not particularly easy um although you know I, I think the wisconsin that we know from the last decade really shouldn't have any trouble navigating through this because they're going to be really solid on defense uh i know michigan's not going to be great on offense i know notre dame having to replace everybody is likely not to be great on offense uh penn state i think is maybe the biggest smoke and mirrors team in college football over, <laughs> over the last five or six years um when they don't have when, when they don't have chris godwin and and saquon barkley yeah Oh boy, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, uh, hey, like, let me like. Ohio State winning the Big Ten is by far the most likely outcome. Yeah, no, you're, I just, you're being that's different. So boring, so boring. Wisconsin's going to win it eventually. It's Wisconsin. <laughs> I think is Wisconsin over the last ten or eleven years has been the best program in college football that does not have like upper tier level success, like big wins. They haven't won a Rose Bowl. Uh, they haven't gotten to the playoff. But, I mean, they, they consistently win 10 and 11 games. They played in a lot of Big Ten championship games. They're going to win one eventually against Ohio State. Over-under win total, 9.5 for Wisconsin going into this year. All right, let's go to the SEC. And I went chalk with this one as well with Alabama. But I will say that, you know, Georgia, Georgia, you throw them out there. That's kind of interesting. But my only note on the Bulldogs is that I'm just not ready at this time to sign off on JT Daniels turning a Kirby Smart team into a high-flying offensive juggernaut. So I'm going to go Bama, even though they have a, you know, they're bringing in a bunch of new players. Um, I'm also picking Bama. Uh, I, I do have a little more on this. So uh, I think it's going to be Bama versus Georgia in the SEC title game. I think both teams are going to have a loss. Um, I, Georgia's going to lose to Clemson in, in week one. But uh, interesting thing this year, Lee, Bama's schedule is kind of brutal in the first half. Uh, like, tougher than thing than I've seen in the past for Alabama. So, of course, they open at a neutral side against Miami. And then they are, they're they're at the Swamp. They play Florida on September 18th, the same day that OU's playing Nebraska. 
Um, and then they right after that that Florida game, they have this really sneaky, difficult stretch at home against Ole Miss, a team that's going to be really explosive and good on offense with Lane Kiffin there, at Texas A and M, at Missis, uh, at a Mississippi State team that's in year two of Mike Leach, and who knows what that's going to look like. Um, and uh, so yeah, that that four game stretch of Florida, Ole Miss, A and M, and Mississippi State. I think that's a legitimately tough stretch for Bama. Man, you're missing out. I, they, Dude, they haven't had a stretch like that in a long time. You're, you're skipping in the SEC. No, you're, you're skipping over the Southern Miss game. They play Florida. Oh God. They, oh, did I? They play Florida. Then they play Southern Miss. Then they play Ole Miss. Then at A and M, at Mississippi State. Mississippi State's not going to be a a team that can do anything with Alabama. Are you kidding me? Mike Leach versus I mean, Nick. Probably Saban. not. But you know, I mean, probably not. But. Um, Okay, so five of their first six games, I think, are kind of tricky. Yeah, but no, your your points well taken. I mean, that's I mean, Miami. I mean, is Derek King is he going to play? Is he fully healthy? I don't know. I mean, I I don't yeah like I don't have any reason to suspect otherwise. Just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll I guess we'll see. Uh, and then Florida, I I mean, Florida could be could be overrated uh, at number thirteen, but it's at the swamp. There's actually going to be fans there. You never know, but. I don't think Nick Saban... It's the first time Alabama's played in the swamp, I think, in like a, over oh, that's a decade. Cool. That's cool. Because the SEC scheduling's freaking weird. But yeah, it's definitely something, though. You're right. Um, that is interesting. Uh, but Yeah, go ahead. I think Bama's going to win, though. I Like, game 13 on the season, yeah, I'm going to take... I don't... I'm, I'm going to take Nick Saban over Kirby Smart any day of the week. Um, I'll see it when I believe it with Georgia. That means we have one Power 5 conference left. That is the Pac-12 going out west... And this is my curveball uh, conference champion. And I talked about him earlier. I'm going to go with Utah. And, you know, why Utah? Here we go. Uh, I kind of was looking at Arizona State, but they're an unknown. We talked about that a little bit ago. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I like the Sun Devils, but, you know, what happens if people start getting in trouble and the coaches get suspended and the whole thing is just a, a weird mess, all right? Utah plays Arizona State in Salt Lake. And then you have the other option in that, that side of the, the conference, in that division. You got USC. Okay, they're ranked ahead of Utah right now. They play the Trojans in L.A., but it's coming off of a bye. And it's one of those things where if Utah is as good as I think they are, they're going to be 4-0 going into that USC game with a lot of momentum and thinking that, that they can really do something. And if Utah makes it all the way to the Pac-12 title game to face probably against Oregon, that means that the Charlie Brewer that's actually pretty good is, is probably stayed healthy, and they're there, and it's a team that can definitely knock off Oregon in a, in a conference title game. So my, my dark horse, crazy, off-the-wall conference champ is in Pac-12 with Utah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's going to be one of USC, Washington, Oregon, and Utah. Um, and so I lean Utah versus Washington in the championship game solely because I think those are the two most competent, stable coaching situations out of those four. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, Utah versus Washington uh, in, uh, in August right now, that's a, I, I, that's a coin flip. So I'm going to take, I'll take Charlie Brewer, uh, TJ Pleasure, and Utah. These are, the, I think they're going to avenge their disappointing into 2019. Wait, so we're both on Utah? lost Pac-12 champ. We're both on Utah for the Pac-12? Is that what's we're happening? Both on Utah. That is Both on Utah. That is insane. I did not see that coming. All right, so let's read. I just, yeah, you know, I... Go ahead. You know, USC, I, I think, has the highest ceiling of all of these teams just because um, 
the connection they could have with Keaton Slovis and their other receiver whose name is escaping me, but he's a monster um, who kind of came out of nowhere the the second half of last season or the second half. USC played like five games last year. I don't know. Um, so, I, yeah, I think USC's got the highest ceiling. I, you know, I still think Oregon's a bit of a paper tiger. I, I just... Man, I'm just I'm just really not impressed with their offensive coaching staff. They just don't know what they want to do there. Um, like I we they had they had Justin Herbert, who we found out is is one of the best quarterbacks on the planet, and they just their offense with just bogged down so much with him. Um, and I and I just and well to be fair, the know, offensive Mario Cristobal is to, say, to be fair, the offensive coordinator that was there with Herbert's no no longer there in uh, Eugene. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, and but you know it's not like you know Oregon's offense last year with Tyler Shuck wasn't outstanding either. Um, so I, you know I just Oregon they're recruiting well. Of course they're flashy. They got all the cool stuff. Their their uniforms are still hideous. I don't care anybody who says they they look good has no has has literally no no style whatsoever. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't buy the Oregon hype yet, and per, potentially it's just I I just don't really like Oregon. I don't like them. <laughs> I'm still pissed from 2006. Yeah, uh, you know who their OC is? They have Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State OC and also Mississippi State head coach for five minutes. And I've just never been a big – I never liked that Penn State offense. Uh, you know, he didn't do much at Mississippi State, and then Mike Leach is there now. So uh, this is year two for him. Obviously, last year was weird. Their offensive line is supposed to be awesome. And, I mean, that's a crystal ball's thing. He's an offensive line guy. And they got three really good running backs. So they could be kind of like a downhill, weird Oregon team that we're not used to where I guess in the, in the old Chip Kelly age, they ran the ball a lot. I guess that's kind of that was a big part of that offense. But uh, and they all, You know, I thought about – Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I thought about throwing UCLA in there for, for a second look. Um, our old friends at UCLA. It's pretty much the exact same team from 2018 and 2019. Yeah, because they were all freshmen. I, I thought about putting them um, in the underrated national category. I did. I did. I did too. Um, I think DTR is pretty good. Um, I you know, and by pretty good, I mean that he's shown flashes to be pretty good. And uh, UCLA was was not bad last year at all. Uh, they they were very competitive in every single game they played. I think they were three and three. Um, they were three and don't quote three me and on four. That. I don't know if they played a bowl game or what, but they were three and four. Okay, okay. So well, we'll see. I mean, this is it. I mean, if if UCLA sucks this year, then I I got to think Chip Kelly is done at UCLA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's crazy that DTR is still there. I guess they returned their entire offensive line, and they have a couple of potential NFL players uh, at at their tackle spot. So the offense could be pretty good. It's just the question is on defense. It was a. Uh, I guess they were super aggressive last year, and, and they blitzed a lot, and they got a lot of sacks, but they also gave up a lot of big plays. So kind of like what we kind of wanted Oklahoma to do back whenever you know, uh, Mike Stoops is there. It makes me wonder if sort of the old, the old Chip Kelly offense at Oregon is like obsolete's not the right word. It's just like it's just it's been done. People like it's it, it's kind of hard to surprise people with tempo now. Yeah, totally. Type deal. Yeah. All right, so let's recap. Big 12, we both have Oklahoma. ACC, we both have Clemson. SEC, we both have Alabama. Miraculously, in the Pac-12, we both have Utah. And the Big Ten is the one conference where we disagree. I have Ohio State. You're running with Wisconsin. That brings us to the four playoff teams. And this is where it just this is where it gets boring, man. I, I mean, I'll just I'll start with mine. It's like the same teams we see for the most part 
every year or the teams that mostly go to the playoff. I have OU, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson with Utah, the one getting left out. And it's just uh, – they need to expand. That's, that's it. I, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this a million times. But uh, do you – I mean, we, we're all the same. I guess you're going to probably have Wisconsin in yours. What, who's your top four? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, here's, here's what my playoff is. I going to be number one OU versus number four, Wisconsin in the cotton bowl. Number two, Clemson versus number three, Alabama in the orange bowl. Uh, well, good on so you yeah. for actually, I mean, it's actually seeding them. I just don't see any value in that right now because it's August and for whatever reason, my brain doesn't work that way, but yeah, good on you for seeding them. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the logic is OU and Clemson are both unbeaten. Wisconsin and Alabama both have one loss and just. Logically, I would think the SEC team is going to is going to get the higher seed because just because. All right. So and I didn't pick, you know, winners of playoff games. I just picked a national champion, which is our our last true category, picking national champion. And I'll go first because as much as I want to throw on my crimson colored glasses and grab my giant Oklahoma foam finger and wave it in the air. Yeah, I'm not going to break the rules of the big season preview podcast. I mean, there is, there is one rule on this podcast. And when we predict a national champion, <laughs> you say Alabama, then you kind of just move on with your day. And get this, Grant, in the last 10 seasons, if you just made that same prediction in the preseason every single year, you'd have been correct half the time. It's insane. Bama's won the, the national title five out of the last 10 years. So as much as I don't want this to happen, I'm not going to break the rules on my podcast. I'm going to go Alabama is your national champion. What do you say? See, I never thought it was like I never thought it was a hard, hard rule with Alabama. I thought it was just kind of but you may be right. And so I'm actually following kind of well, the same. Maybe that logic was my rule. Maybe that was my hard rule. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm following the same logic. I mean, I, I remember us kind of saying that joke. But um, to me, that clear team this year is Clemson. Um I people have, like nobody has picked Clemson to win the national championship and I they're not going like their their biggest game of the season is week one and then they're going to be able to sleepwalk through the rest of the year and then just and then prepare for the the playoff like they've done every single year for the last six years um you know I it's it's, it's like you said I'm, I'm right with you I would love to just to throw on you know my crimson colored glasses and blast boomer sooner everywhere uh, but I'm actually I'm I'm actually trying to pick who I think has the best chance of winning. And when I look at the, the it's Clemson. It's I it's so clearly Clemson is is the safest pick this year. Um, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if I, I think if OU is in the national title against Clemson, that's a game they can win. But I you know I I think going with the track record of Clemson is probably just the safer bet. After cl- seeing Clemson the last couple of years and these playoff games kind of get lit up, I mean, does it kind of make you think that maybe? Uh there's, there's, you know, there's secondary, like when they face these teams, like they can't stop the pass anymore. Like when they, I mean, they used to be able to stop the pass, but I mean, I, I mean, everyone, everyone got lit up by LSU, but LSU pretty much lit them up. Ohio state lit them up last year. I was going to say, I don't, I think, um, yeah, I don't think it's fair to criticize them for LSU. Um, Ohio state as well. I mean, you're talking, that's a first round quarterback thrown to two first round receivers yeah. with Olave and, and, and Garrett Wilson. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I'd like how, how Clemson sort of got blown out last year was definitely surprising. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, 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 don't I just know. don't know much about their, uh, like what they have coming back on defense. I, I guess the secondaries, they have a lot of kind of, they have a majority of their defense back. 
they have like their entire defensive line back. Um, they they did lose one uh, corner, a guy who was all AC all ACC. He transferred to Georgia, uh, ironically <laughs> enough. Um, I can't think of his name. His last name is Kincaid, I believe. But um, I mean, what's Justin Ross? So yeah, gonna be? I just think, is, I mean, is Justin Ross going to be healthy? I mean, is he going to? See, I'm actually not expecting him to be because he's never been healthy. He's been healthy for like six games in his entire career, oh, okay. and two of those were in the playoffs a couple years ago. So, um, who's going to play running back for? No, I, I'm, for, I mean, how are they going to replace Etn? I mean, he was such a big part of their offense. I'm curious about that. I, you know, I think they'll, I think they'll probably figure it out. They have a bunch of FCS teams that they're basically going to be playing to figure it out <laughs> over the course of the entire season. So, um, no, I just it's it's mostly because Clemson does bring back, you know, a a, a really significant chunk of their defense and they don't have the same question mark at quarterback as far as I'm concerned as as Ohio State and Alabama uh DJ Uyunglele has he has actually played college football he's gone on the road and thrown for 470 yards and five touchdowns at Notre Dame I mean that's yeah so all right no it's good I just yeah he's he's good that that guy's really good It, it wouldn't surprise me if 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 they get a lot of the same qualities they got from Trevor Lawrence out of that guy, um, he's he's really good. It's gonna it's gonna keep rolling on for Clemson. Well, that uh, that's it, man. I mean, we uh, I I do have this one other prompt because I, I really don't have anything for this. But are there some? Have you heard any bad college football takes, or do you have like any storylines that you've heard leading into the season that you're like, ah, I don't like that. I want to get this off my chest. I kind of have one with. Uh, like the only thing that came to my mind is anything with COVID and policies and stuff. I, I have thoughts, but I have not gathered them into a point where it's uh, appropriate for me to say them right now on this particular episode of the podcast. So like, that's the only thing that kind of is in my mind of just like these forfeit policies. And I, I mean, so I have some thoughts on that, which I don't want to share now, but outside of that, man, I haven't really heard any like egregious takes or things that I'm just kind of like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But then at the same time, I haven't been listening to a whole lot of national you know, punditry on college football. So anyways, I'll step aside and see if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. The weirdness of last season has made kind of the off season and, and the lead up to this new season, a little weird, a little more different. Um, it just seems a little more muted kind of, it's kind of sneaking up on us a little bit, or maybe that's just me and, you know, I'm just kind of caught up in my own life, and I, you know, I don't turn on the TV as much as I used to. But um, I, yeah, I don't really have any others. Uh, I, I definitely got as much stuff off as I, off, off my chest as I needed to. The Iowa State stuff just bugs me. It's gotten to the point where it bugs me. It's like I, I really loved the Iowa State story when they were plucky and like actual underdogs. They're still the underdogs, people. Like they're, they're still like Oklahoma State and TCU are still more talented teams than Iowa State, like and Texas. Like it's going to, it's, they are going to have to play exceptionally well to win all of those games. And I I just like in a full season when everyone is full strength and not dealing with the COVID, it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that. I think. All right. So Harry, I saw another one of your questions on the Facebook page. Uh, We've gone almost three hours, so we're going to punt it. And also I want to give a shout out to Justin. I see that you've put a lot of uh, questions and comments on the Facebook page. I didn't see this until we started recording and, we don't have time to go through all this. We, we may have already hit on a lot of it anyways, but I just want to say thank you to you guys for commenting, though. We do see it. Uh, but, uh, man, we've this has been a marathon podcast, definitely our longest one ever. And that's fitting for episode 200, I think, for our big season preview podcast. 
And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about the college football season, and I'm excited to, man, we're going to have a, a two-lane preview or whatever game preview podcast coming next week, Grant. Episode we're, 201, preview in two-lane. Gosh, it's feel, I can't believe the two-lane game is here. Like I've been excited for that game for a while. I know there's, there's a lot of OU fans who don't really like the novelty of going to play like at a mid-major stadium, and I don't really understand why. I think that's great. I think it's really cool. Um, I also o- think it's great. Yeah, the only like the only argument that I, I think is pretty legitimate is saying like I mean it, it takes away a home game from OU, and I think you know that's like you'd just rather play that game at home, and you know, I understand that. But going on the road's fun. Going on the road's really fun, and so you're like you're you're gonna have to tell me how it is, how Yulman Stadium is. Yeah, no, I'll let you know. Hopefully, again, there's no tropical storms running through New Orleans, and it's it's not too terribly hot. I mean, it's gonna be steamy. That's expected. But yeah, I mean, going to a group of five actual stadium and, you know, teams like Oklahoma don't do that a lot. And that's cool. I agree. I think that's neat. It's going to be really cool for those Tulane fans. I get a chance to go see a team like Oklahoma at their home stadium. And I expect plenty of Oklahoma fans to travel as well to go to that game. I don't know why Sooners fans wouldn't be there. I know. Um, I, maybe this is a hot take, or maybe I'm being crazy. But what does what does surprise you at all if if OU outnumbers Tulane fans there? I guess it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know anything about Tulane's uh, fan base. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be the biggest game they've had at that stadium maybe ever. So pretty small, yeah. pretty small stadium. Pretty small. Yeah, so, I'm looking that up. Uh, Let's see, thirty thousand, thirty thousand, man. And I know Tiny. that, uh, like, I you know. OU fans had to buy some two-lane season tickets if you wanted to get like kind of first dibs. At the, I know they have single-game tickets available now, but from from what I heard, I think you know reading like a couple months ago, I saw something that like they had quite a bit of people from Oklahoma buy two-lane season tickets. Oh wow! So um, I don't. Know, I'm I'm expecting to see a lot of crimson in the stands, but uh, we're still you know we're still still ten days away from that. One of the ex- exciting things, Lee, is next week when we preview Tulane. Not only will will we be previewing Tulane. We will actually have real life college football that was played that we can talk about. You know what makes me? Uh, you know what comes to mind when you when you say that last sentence? The the for whatever reason, the 2019 week zero when I think it was Miami versus Florida. Was it Florida? Oh yeah, because I remember Florida seeing the, Felipe, Felipe Franks. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Uh, what was it? I think Florida had like eleven sacks or something in the game. It was something crazy like that. Yeah, that's probably right. And the reason I think about that is because I was going back to our old rundowns, trying to figure out what we did this time of year. And I that was in the rundown. And I think I listened to some podcasts, and you were you were very hard on uh, Florida and Felipe Franks and how like they were, or both these teams have no chance to contend for a national championship. And you were obviously correct about that, but. I randomly just think about the 2019 first big game of the year, and now 2021 will, uh, yeah, hopefully overwrite that in our memories. And for some, I remember I, I remember that one fondly because I was I was really bagging on Felipe Frank's hardcore, and I think like two weeks later he had just had that horrific injury, and then and then Kyle Trask had to come in, and then they just, they got so much better with Kyle Trask. That kind of makes me question Dan Mullen a little bit. Let's be real. Yeah. Uh, All right. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Big Season Preview Podcast. Hopefully, you've all enjoyed this. Again, uh, we'll have more next week, and uh, we just we thank all of you for listening. If you're listening this long, then you're you're true West of Evers fans, and 
I can't say it enough. We really appreciate your support. And uh, you guys listening and commenting and stuff really makes it a lot easier for us to, to keep doing this, especially during the off season when there's no football. But now that football's starting up, it's, it's not much of a chore. This is fun. And it feels like a privilege that we get to do this. And some of you out there actually care to listen to what we have to say. So with that, until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.